am Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 56. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. This is Zach. This is Donovan. And we are bringing the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as 11 books. Now, you may be asking yourself, wait, there was actually 12 books. Well, the issue is Batman Odyssey is being delayed from this podcast, and we'll hopefully be covering it on the next podcast. We're going to get right into comic news, and the first thing we've got is from November 18th. Comic Book Resources released their next segment of The Bat Signal, and this time they interviewed Tony Daniel and David Finch. Both Finch and Daniel obviously started writing and drawing their bat books this month, with Finch's book actually being delayed till December, as we know now. So I will read for Comic Book Resources... Zach will read for Tony Daniel, and Josh will read for David Finch. When you first heard that there'd be two Batman in play after Bruce's return, why did you gravitate towards your specific Batman creatively? The truth is that I had already gone down the path working on Bruce's Batman long before I was aware that there was going to be two. To be honest, I'd be happy to work with either character. Dick Grayson being the Batman that appears in my book was predecided before I signed on for more Batman work. I'm used to Dick Grayson, so right now it feels natural, but I'm sure I'd have fun writing Bruce as well. More specifically, how does this particular Batman fit into your particular pitch? Bruce has quite a bit of experience with the supernatural, so I felt like I had a lot of established history to play with in developing stories. He's very serious and driven, and he has a lot of anger. Those traits play very well with the tone of the stories I want to tell. I want to push Bruce's buns on an emotional level, a place where he's got some... fragility? He still feels lost in fear for the safety of his loved ones. I want to see where those emotions can take him in terms of his own self-imposed limits. I think writing Dick Grayson as Batman gives you a certain amount of freshness to the stories, mainly because Dick doesn't have the same history with with most of the major villains as Bruce had. He was always a sidekick when Bruce confronted Joker or Two-Face or whoever, so even though he's confronted some of these guys before, it was always as Robin or Nightwing, not as Batman. Speaking of that broader Bat universe, what can you tell us about how you'll be playing with familiar elements of the world of Batman from Robin, the support cast and the villains to the iconic gothic nature of Batman's world. I think my most important goals for this coming year of stories is to further develop Batman as played by Dick Grayson. As for the iconic villains of Gotham, I think it's important to not change them too much, but adding a new layer or dimension to the characters and villains is something I look forward to. First of all, the iconic gothic nature of Gotham City is what this is all about for me, so I'll be exploring and showcasing the city throughout my run. Not just its geography, but its history. Gotham has a long, sordid past that stretches back pretty far. The ground it's built upon has been cursed more than once. Bruce is a part of Gotham for a reason, and it draws him back. I've been itching to draw so many bad villains that you can be sure that they'll be all showcased at some point. But I wanted to bring in some characters that aren't normally associated with Batman. And who bring a skill set that he needs? I've got the demon playing an important part, and another that I'm going to be mysterious about for now. 
needless to say, I think they're both going to do a fine fine job. Uh, when we get into Tony Daniels' Batman later on, we'll talk more about that. David Finch will obviously have to wait till the end of December once that book comes out to talk about his work. But for what I saw in Batman, I think it was pretty good. And I think what we're gonna what we're gonna see from these two people, despite the fact that they're writing and doing the art, and that's a lot. And sometimes one suffers because the other one's getting more attention. I think Tony Daniel has done a good job in the past with writing. I think eventually, especially if he's doing, he's on Batman for the long haul. Eventually, he's gonna not gonna be able to do the art like he ha- like happen what happened before. So we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> marvelous, simply marvelous. All right, so then the only other bit of news we have is on November 24th, Comic Book Resources posted an interview with Grant Morrison. In this interview, they talk about what we saw in Batman Incorporated and how it plays into future issues of the series. So this time, I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Donovan will read for Grant Morrison. After all he'd been through since Final Crisis and Batman R.I.P., did you consider having Bruce Wayne announce to the world that he was actually Batman upon his return to the present day DCU and not just his benefactor? Yeah, it crossed my mind, but you would never do that. The reason that he's doing what he's doing will be revealed in a few issues down the line. Ultimately, Batman has a very specific plan and part of what he's doing right now is to hit off some trouble that is on its way. So yeah, you could have done that. That's not the arena I wanted to play in. To be honest, it kind of ruins Batman as a character. In this first chapter, you've introduced Lord Deathman from Jiro Kawada's Batman manga and Mr. Unknown. And next you'll have El Gacho, who was originally introduced as a member of the Batman of All Nations in Detective Comics number 215 back in 1955. Was part of the impetus behind this project the chance it provided you to explore all these different versions of Batman as he's portrayed in different countries and cultures? Oh, of course. The idea for that first story came to me from reading the Batmanga book that Chip Kidd did and looking at Kawada's work. I read that and I just wanted that same atmosphere and I really wanted to bring it into the DCU and I planned to do a lot more of that. There's another Batman of England who was not the Knight. I discovered there was another character called The Hood used more recently in Batman Shadow of the Bat. Once I discovered that character, a new kind of idea spun off and and it gave me a whole bunch of villains and new stuff to bring in. So yeah, doing the research for it led to discovering some obscure characters, including some quite recently from the 90s even. No one looks at the 90s, but there's some interesting stuff there. While you're introducing some new characters, we saw in the first issue that classic Batverse characters like Catwoman also have a role to play in Batman Incorporated. Will we be seeing any other Bat family, friends, or foes from Gotham like Batwoman or Red Robin? We'll see all of those guys, and we'll see the Oracle, the online Oracle that Batman's created. We'll also see what Batgirl is doing in the finishing school in England. All of those ongoing stories will be touched upon in Batman Incorporated, and we'll definitely see Red Robin too. And Catwoman, Catwoman will be back. She was very popular in the first one, and I think she makes a great foil for Batman. So she's going to come back into it. We'll see Dickie Damien again, but in a quite different way. So yeah, all that stuff will appear in the first year. Alright, so that's the end of that interview. The one thing that that really struck me out of this interview was the fact that he mentions that there's another Batman of England, and it's not the Knight. It's somebody called the Hood. What's interesting is, does that mean that Batman's not going to be approaching Knight to fill, you know, to become a member of Batman Inc. He's too busy fighting Shakespeare villains and Richard III in a bar where it's Christmas every day or something. <laughs> that was only an issue one. What I thought was interesting is that he, he 
said the thought of unmasking Bruce Wayne or unmasking Batman crosses his mind, but he figured that that goes against the character, which um, I find I find interesting. So he's really sticking to this idea that he's still going to keep the identity secret. We might be getting some clues about this death of Oracle thing because he specifically says we'll see the Oracle, the online Oracle that Batman created. Because now there's all this speculation because Gail Simone's death of Oracle story where like there's a wheelchair knocked over on the cover. There's like a wheelchair knocked over and the birds are like, oh no, Oracle's taking oh, a stumble. Yeah. Looks like Oracle just threw it out and got a new one. <laughs> or maybe she's walking. And, like, her first act as walking was to smash up her wheelchair. I don't know. I, I don't think that they're going to have two revamps for Oracle, like, so close together. She's going to become, like, the new online Avatar Oracle one month and then Death of Oracle another month. Well, maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe she's dying only to become the online Avatar only. Oh, my God. Is she going to get stuck inside the Internet? That would be so hey. stupid. You know, they had that situation with uh, that whole world where people could enter into it when they were doing the Holy crap, story. you're right. No, no, Justin's right. They had the whole storyline where she was, like, fighting inside, inside the Matrix or something like that. I hope they don't do that. That would be so stupid. Oracle, the plane. Chill, Batman. I sent up a flare. Robin's on his way. Maybe you didn't get the memo, Oracle. But I've been going by Nightwing for, oh, about a decade or so. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I can't remember that. Maybe I should try saying it ten times in a row. Nightwing, 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 Nightwing. All right, so that is all the news we have. We're going to get into our comic reviews. Like I said, we've got 11 books, and the first one we're going to start with is Azrael number 14. Yes, written by David Hine and illustrated by Cliff Richards. This issue starts off with Michael Lane supposedly talking to the... Uh, the flailed body of Father Grieve until after insinuating that he is the son of Jesus, Lane kills him, but then wakes up from that horrible dream. He goes into his bathroom, sees that his blood is coming from his hands, and realizes he's being crucified. Then he wakes up again. It was a double dream. So Michael Lane is pretty messed up over this, and he is also being watched by a man named Parentino. We cut to, to the Batcave where both Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Dick Grayson respectively discuss Azrael and the plans that they have for him. Bruce wants Azrael to work under the Batman Incorporated name and so tells Dick, you know, because Dick says to him, you know, I, I talked to Lane already and said that as long as he does good with the suit, he can have it. Batman says, apparently, if he goes around killing people, then that's not what we're about. So either talk with him or shut him down. We cut to Lane torturing himself with with um, whips with rocks at the ends in a very old school medieval Catholic sort of way because he the, the dreams he's having he feels are very are very sacrilegious and blasphemous. He also he goes and uh, talks to Parentino saying that he needs a suit he wants a suit back because the suit is being tested on by Parentino and his and his boy in the lab. This leads to them being revealed that they work for Rachel Ghoul who knows what Father Grief said in the last issue about the person who can only wear the suit being the descendant of Christ. Lane's torturing of himself like like snapping his back and everything was akin to Christ's going through trials before being crucified himself. He also is shown to be in league with the white ghost. He's come back. We, we see Lane talk to Father Day, being obsessed with his armor and be obsessed with doing God's work and trying to get the, trying to get the idea that he is the descendant of Christ out of his head. But as soon as he puts the mask on, he sees flashes of people's faces saying things like, visit God's retribution on every sinner. Every sinner must die, die to be reborn, stuff like that. So he goes crazy and starts screaming, only the Son of God can return before Judgment Day, and just jumps out of the window like a madman. Batman, in parentheses, Dick Grayson, is going through the seats when Oracle informs him that 
that Asriel's been on a bit of a rampage, stabbing people randomly. So he sees him on, a, on top of a building and confronts him. Asriel does not take this very kindly and stabs him with a, the red fiery sword. Dick is certain that this won't kill him because only the wicked will die. But Asriel says, actually, you are dying. Dick passes out and wakes up in Wayne Manor to Bruce and Alfred. Bruce confronts him saying, WTF, Dick, what, what happened last night? And Dick's like, what's going on? Michael Lane committed suicide last night and all I want to know two things. One, why did he do it? And two, how does a man crucify himself as Michael Lane apparently crucified himself? To be continued. All right, so as number 14. Surprisingly, I thought this was quite interesting. Uh, one thing I've been complaining about for multiple months was the fact that I really don't like the idea of having Azrael, a character who was originally based in Gotham City, outside of Gotham City, doing this random stuff that has nothing to do with the Batman universe. Coincidentally, this falls in line with getting the nice uh, imprint of Batman incorporated on the cover, and the inclusion of Bruce and Dick talking about recruiting Azrael into Batman Incorporated. So that element really made the the book a little bit better for me. The, the ending was a real big twist that I didn't see coming, and I was surprised by it, and I am interested. Like, I, I actually want to know what's going to happen in the next issue, just based on the last two pages of the book. I'm also trying to figure out why Dick Grayson was able to get that uh, flaming sword through him, and he started to die. I want to know why that is, too, because the last time I checked, I didn't think Dick Grayson was was doing anything that makes him not innocent. So, overall, I thought this was a good issue. Um, it's not great, but it's definitely better than the past 13 issues of Azrael that we've read. Um, so with that, I'm going to give it 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs. I enjoyed this more than I've enjoyed the last few months. Now, I guess I feel more of a connection to the story because we are, like Dustin said, bringing in more of the Gotham elements and the Batman Incorporated elements. This Jesus complex stuff is ridiculous. He's having dreams about getting crucified, and at the end, he kills himself by crucifying himself. What I did turn the last page, I was curious, okay, how's he going to survive this? Where is it going? So, points to them for making me want to read the next issue because... Have I ever wanted to read the next issue of Azrael before? I don't believe I have, so it's getting on the right path. Let's see if it can stay this way. Three out of five batterings. The crucifixion moments. Yes, there were multiple ones. Seriously? Like, I'm not offended by that or anything, but I just, I don't, they're taking this whole Jesus Christ thing way too far. And, uh... I honestly think that the writing in this book is getting worse and less interesting. Like I've mentioned before, I like Michael Lane. I think he could be an interesting character, so I think there's something to explore there. So do it. Don't don't run with, with all this religious hyperbole. Like I, It's not interesting to me. It's not intriguing. And it's just making it more frustrating. I think Cliff Richards, very serviceable artist. I don't think his stuff's great, but I think it, it works. it works fine. The whipping scene. Okay, let, let's rip out two pages of, of the Da Vinci Code. Let's just throw it right in there, because that's basically what that was. I will say I liked that Dick and Bruce finally acknowledged uh, Michael Lane in, in that whole situation. And I like that Dick and Bruce and Ra's al Ghul seem to be taking up some larger roles in this book now that we're kind of... Azrael seems to kind of be getting into the thick of things. With him committing suicide or him being murdered or whatever, we all know that this book is an ending. So I didn't find it that interesting. It's just kind of like, what? And I'm, 
at this point, I'm kind of hoping that this book was going to end with issue 15 because I really don't care anymore. And it's like I could do without an Asriel book, but if you're going to publish one, I'm going to read it. And I think you need to make it a little respectable so that it can be enjoyable. Uh, I'll give this one out of five batterings. I am so sick of this 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 Asriel crap with the the Jesus and the, and the tear torturing and the crucifying and all that. Like seriously, every time I read this comic book, every time I read an issue, someone's like going over the top religious with all this stuff that no one's done in like almost a thousand years. And it really, again, I'm I'm not I'm not that easily offended. Either. I'm not really offended at all. But it just it it speak it just screams lazy writing to me. If you do anything religious, you have to do it over the top. It, it that that seems to be the approach they're taking with this. And it just makes Michael Lane out to be like a lunatic. I don't really care how how he crucified himself because they're just the, the concept is just is just stupid on its own. Like seriously, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's a very good explanation for it. But as it is, I'm not curious because it's like you know, I just I just look at that. And I'm like, oh please. One of the better issues I've read compared to like the Crusader crap we had in the past. I will, and I also said I do like the fact that they're actually taking this story seriously, seriously, and not forgetting about it immediately. But at the same time, I just don't do not care for this whatsoever, so I'm giving this I'll give it two out of five batterings. Alright, so that is gonna give Azrael number fourteen two and a half out of five batterings. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma, my friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport, because... Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Batman The Return. At the beginning of Batman The Return, we get a few pages about the life of a bat, and this particular bat is the one that crashed into Wayne Manor's window during Batman Year One, or just flew into the open window, depending on what continuity you're reading. We find out why and how he died. We then cut to Batman saving the son of a foreign guy. The foreign guy is very relieved, but Batman says, I know what Hussein knows. I'm coming after you next. Then there's a meeting in the Batcave for the immediate Batman family, which is including Dick Grayson, Tim, Damien, Stephanie, and Oracle. And he's giving them each envelopes with assignments. Apparently, he's going to put Oracle inside of the internet as some sort of avatar. We even get a picture of like her Batwoman-esque costume and like some sort of internet motorcycle. Stephanie's got to go to a finishing school in England, which she's not happy about. And Damien just wants to know, hey... What about me? What do are we still going to be Batman and Robin? That question is not going to be answered right away though, because we go to we cut to Morgan Freeman. It's supposed to be Lucius <laughs> Fox, but they drew him like Morgan Freeman because they like the yeah. movie. He's showing and in a scene straight out of them, he's showing Bruce Wayne some new you know battle gear, and Bruce is like, "Can you make it look like Batman and Robin?" We cut to Yemen, where Damien is along with Bruce on an assignment, and Damien wants to know if he's on trial, and Bruce says, "I've already made my decision about you." They find a bunch of people who are dead, and this guy who's calling himself Vampire Man. 
He's fighting Bruce, and he's like, tell me what happened. Tell me who did this to you. Damien goes off on his own and finds the guy who did this. He's covered in... He's covered in cloths and some sort of a mask and a red visor and flies away. Damien grabs onto him and, unknown to the readers until a few pages later, places a bug on him. Bruce is a little pissed at Damien for disobeying orders and Dick is trying to defend Damien back in Gotham saying, oh, come on, I disobeyed orders all the time. You can't fire Ms. Robin. He's like, I'm not. You guys are doing good as Batman and Robin here. You guys will stay Batman and Robin here. He then tells Alfred that they need more Batcaves. So let's go to Tokyo and do stuff. He invites Selina along with him, which sets up for Batman Inc. So that foreign guy that Batman said uh, he's coming for him next, Batman doesn't have to come for him because the guy that got away from Damien shows up with some little girl and shoots the guy as part of some bigger cover-up. Batman hears the thing on the radio and says, Game on, to be continued. All right, so Batman The Return. One, the timing of this issue, there was a problem with it. One, it was supposed to come out the end of... October, uh, along with the Road Home stuff, and it was one of the books that was delayed along with uh, Batman and Robin number 16. Batman and Robin number 16 made sense to hold off because there was no reason to have it in the middle of what was going on in Road Home, despite the fact that the events that happened in Batman and Robin number 16 occurred before all the Road Home stuff. The one thing that I still don't understand is I assumed that this Batman The Return was going to explain why Bruce was walking around in the insider suit. It didn't. I don't understand what was the point and why Bruce appeared out of nowhere in the insider suit. And this was the only other book that could have explained why he was in that suit, but it didn't. The one thing that's really interesting is I'm trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen with these assignments that he's handing out to everybody. First, they didn't explain everybody's assignments. They only explained some of their some of the allies' assignments. There's a problem with that because obviously all of these characters have their own series and since this book was supposed to come out in October and didn't come out in October and now in November we have the series continue and not even address any of these assignments at all. Now this could happen in the future, but Batgirl going to a finishing school in England conflicts with what we just saw in the last issue of Batgirl where she says she doesn't want to leave Gotham, she has friends, she doesn't want to do it. Now, Stephanie Brown did say that inside Batman The Return when she said, why would I go to a finishing school in England? I have friends here. But it contradicts a good chunk of what happened in the last issue of Batgirl where she tells her mom she doesn't want to leave Gotham City. So how is she going to leave Gotham City to go to a finishing school in England? Uh, we'll have to see with that. I like Damien and Bruce working together, but it clearly Damien works better with Dick and we know that. We already knew that, so that's not news. And I, now Bruce knows that too. So with that, uh, the Batman Return one shot. I don't think it was. I don't really think it was great. Morrison tied up some loose ends, but the problem is, I, I feel like there was more things that were created that, given the timeline of events, none of the questions that he posed have really been answered. So with that, I'm going to give this one two out of five bad rings. I enjoyed this. I thought that that sequence with the dying bat at the beginning was a waste of how many, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, basically a waste of five pages. There's like five pages before we even get to the story. And I paid $5 for this thing. And then in the back, like, you know, they have the special DVD features of costume sketches. It's 
and, and the script. I don't care about the script. I'm, I read the book. That's the script. It, it, and then variant covers. It, it was some of the stuff was a waste of time, but I like the story. Um, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I really feel bad for Brian Q. Miller because he talked about how he had this like three year plan for Stephanie Brown. Then Graham Morrison comes in and says, "So she's going to finishing school in England. Let it be done now." Maybe that's part of Miller's plan and maybe that's only going to be for like an issue or two so it's stupid to speculate about those things I like Damien's reaction to like what's going to happen to me thing but for a book called The Return I would have liked it better if it dealt more with uh, his return and not you know this assignment with foreign people or whatever I'm going to give it 4 out of 5 batterings uh, I really liked this I thought it was a great reintroduction to Bruce coming back the opening I thought was really well done with the bat because I thought it was great in comparing it to Bruce and him being that guy that doesn't give up and I thought it was a great nod to year one and uh, I thought it was a great way to tie in Batman Inc. with Bruce's beginnings my only real complaint about the issue is that it didn't spend as much time as I would have liked on the members of the Bat family and their reactions to Bruce Wayne being back and basically, Morrison just kind of runs through some of these assignments and doesn't really elaborate any further on them. The thing with Batgirl's assignment, the way that issue 15 ended of Batgirl, to me, it, it makes perfect, it perfectly flows the way she's a fugitive in Gotham, so you send her to England now. But I did really like the fact that there was a focus on kind of the gadgetry of Batman and that they kind of included Lucius Fox because he been, hasn't been around for a little while. So I was glad that that role was kind of back. I liked that we got to see Damien and Bruce do some work together in the jet suits. I thought that was fun. I liked that we got to see a peek at some of the villains that we're going to be seeing in the future because that looks really interesting. My favorite moment of the issue was towards the end with the interactions between Alfred and Bruce because I thought they were written really well and I really enjoyed how Alfred really expressed himself. David Finch. The guy is an excellent artist. However, I compare him to the way I feel about Jim Lee. I don't get excited when I look at his artwork. When I hear that David Finch is penciling a book, it's kind of just like, okay, and that's kind of how I feel about Jim Lee. I don't really get excited about their work on Batman. I thought for the most part, Finch's work was really good, but there were like pages worth. It was really dark because he's really heavy with the lines, and it kind of made things hard to make out. So I didn't think his work was perfect. I liked that there was a lot of Batman history here. If you look around in the Batcave, there's a lot of things you can kind of point out. I looked at this issue as it's kind of like the new beginning. It's the preview of what we're going to see of Batman's new status quo for the future. So uh, I'll give this four out of five batterings. There's a lot I liked about this comic, but at the same time, there's stuff that I kind of wish were, like, like uh, Zach said, was more elaborated on. Like... I like I like the art. I agree that David Finch. I, I, I get excited when I, when I see Jim Lee uh, art, but I don't get excited when I see David Finch because he's a very detailed artist, and sometimes that detail can go over the board. Uh, but in terms of this issue, I thought his art was very, really good. I really, really liked his art all throughout this issue. I thought it was really good. I liked the scene with the uh, the Bat Family in the Bat Cave. I liked the scenes uh, with. I really liked with Bruce and Damien because I was when we all knew Bruce was coming back. I was hoping that. Batman and Robin would be Bruce and Damien because it would be an exploration of the Batman and Robin team, but just with, you know, no matter who was in the, the Cape and Cowl. So I was looking forward to that kind of father and son dynamic. And I, and I kind of liked how it showed that Damien and Bruce don't really work well together. It justified the, the team of Dick and Damien. And while I'm a little disappointed that, that Bruce seemed to give up on him really quickly, at the same time, it, 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 it didn't make sense for the story. 
I liked Bruce and Alfred's scenes as well, that, that they were all pretty copacetic about it. Also, I was annoyed that they made Lucius Fox like Morgan Freeman, because Lucius Fox in the comics is completely different from the he is in the movies. But my main thing is that this is the same thing I have with this whole Batman Inc. thing. It's just everybody's going along with this, Humphrey Dupper do, and there's not really any elaboration. Dick becomes Batman because Batman, or because Bruce tells him to. I think after all those hundreds of issues of Nightwing, at least we get a little more of Dick's Aaron monologue and saying, why does he decide to do this? Of course, he, he, you know, he would do anything for Bruce, but we get nothing of Dick's, we get nothing of Dick's perspective, and he, he's just, he's just a person following orders. Like what, what we had when he was gone did establish a lot of things, and now they're just dropping everything and doing, doing what he tells them to. And I think from, from the way the direction is going, it seems that they're, they're pretty stuck to that. And I don't think that's a very good way to tell a story. I really think that this, this should have been a lot more about the Bat Family's reaction to his return, like Josh said, than just Batman giving people orders and having things done his way. That is the biggest disappointment for me, that it was that it was just going along the lines and not really getting into why these people are so devoted to him and why they'll do this. That brings the issue down for me just on a personal sense of enjoyment. But as it stands, I still enjoyed it uh, well enough, so I'll give it three and a half out of five better ranks. All right, so that is going to give Batman the return three and a half out of five batterings. Aqualad, Speedy, where's Robin? Robin's left the building. You've trained me well, Batman, but from now on, I make my own decisions, call my own shots, and my new name is... Nightwing. Hey! Actually, that's not bad. Thanks. Let's move into our next book, which is Superman Batman number 78. Written by Joe Kelly, illustrated by Ed Benes. It starts out with two people narrating how the fight would go down with Batman and Superman in Washington, as you can tell by the Washington Monument. And Batman lunges at Superman with a kryptonite spear, and then he wins by killing him. But then Superman charges at Batman in Gotham City uh, and takes his head off with a super speed, which is the most likely thing to happen. But then we realized that we were made aware that these are just two kids, you know, hanging out. One's Superman fan, one's a Batman fan, and you can tell by their uh, their respective shirts. And they're basically debating which one would win and how the fights would go down. They both agree to disagree that, or they both agree that certain circumstances wouldn't really work, like Batman fighting Superman for the the uh, love, shall we say, for Wonder Woman, or Batman fighting Superman because he wants to go out and kill whoever may have killed a Robin because Superman calls him on how he won't kill anybody anyway. Or membership of the Justice League because Batman has all his partners in Gotham and Superman is more powerful than Justice League put together uh, sometimes. Neither will they will they really fight because they will disagree on tactics, though that is a very likely outcome. Batman has a lot of my way of the highway and Superman says you need to compromise. So through the, the young, young men's uh, perspectives, that is the reason they would fight. But how would they fight? Superman has super speed, so he would probably just take away Batman's utility belt. But Batman has plans for everything, so he would probably have explosives in the utility belt to stun Superman with, it, with explosions. The, the, to them, the fight would eventually go out into outer space, where Batman would have a space suit. The Bat, Superman Batman robot that was made by Toy Man way back when, at the very beginning of this title. And as the two would, would plummet into the atmosphere, the, the two men, both the two kids both realize that if they ever did start to fight, they would never give up. They both are the type of people who would fight until they, they die themselves. And 
That in itself is a paradox and a conceit because Batman and Superman would never fight. While the two kids go to their respective houses and uh, say goodbye to each other, we revealed that <laughs> Superman and Batman have been watching this little conversation the entire time. And while Superman found it amusing, Batman felt he just wasted five minutes of his life. And that's where that story would end, titled Who Would Win? All right, Superman Batman number 78. Overall, I thought this was a good issue. It didn't have some crazy storyline. It didn't really focus on one of the characters. It didn't focus specifically on Superman with Batman being a backup. It didn't focus on Batman being a super, with Superman being like a backup character. It was pretty straightforward. The thing there's a couple things I really liked about this. The first thing I really liked about it was that the person who was defending Batman, the kid who kept coming up with ideas that Batman would have those were like really good ideas because you know that these kids obviously they know as much as they possibly could about the characters but like i i actually thought to myself i would bring up some of these points if i was arguing batman versus superman for batman i'd bring up some of these points and what it comes down to is i love the uh the overall thought of well Ultimately, Superman might have all the power in the world, but Batman is smarter than Superman, and that's completely true. So you can't really argue with that. But I, I'm, I'm liking what's going on in Superman-Batman. It feels like we're getting back into the Superman-Batman that was very popular a couple years ago, instead of this junk that they've been giving us for the last year and a half. So with that being said, I'm going to give this 4 out of 5 Batarangs. Yeah, I agree with Batman. This was a waste of time. <laughs> Um, it was, and it was not only a waste of time for me, but a waste of time for the two of them. So I guess Darkseid, Luther, and you know the the Black Love—they're not all doing anything. They, you know, so Batman and Superman have time to you know sit you know behind something and spy on two children having a conversation. What set of circumstances led you know Batman and Superman to being together where these kids were? Like, because if they were together, you got to think that it wasn't a social call. They were probably on a mission or doing something. They're like, oh, hold on, this can wait. There's two kids having a conversation. And then the next issue, they'll go onto an internet forum and read people debating about it. Because I guess, you know, they're just so mesmerized by people talking about them. What a bunch of narcissists. This whole thing stank of a filler issue, really. Or it's like that backup in that annual where it was like that one page of that dad and his kids saying, remember the time when we fought Black Manta? Oh, well, good night, dad. One out of five batterings. Oh, come on. Uh, this is probably my favorite issue of Superman Batman since the uh, Garad issue, which was like over a year ago. I love the premise of two kids coming up with ways that Batman and Superman would defeat each other. And I really enjoyed the opening with who would kill who first. Joe Kelly is one of my uh, favorite writers, and I think he's very underrated. This issue reminded me a lot of Joe Kelly's Deadpool, which uh, I still think is the best variation of the Deadpool character, but this is a Batman podcast. But I really thought the writing was strong here. Ed Bennis isn't one of my favorite artists, but I love seeing Ed Bennis do a book like Superman Batman because his artwork measures up to the status of the characters, if that makes any sense. I really wish that this title was like this all the time. Just fun and entertaining stories. There's no reason to try and tell like real deep stories at at this point in this book that need to fit into continuity. I I, I mean I love this. I'll I'll give this five out of five batterings. I think Josh is just being a sourpuss, to be honest, because this clearly wasn't anything meant to be remotely in continuity or even Something to be like, me remember back on, like, you know, oh, remember back to Superman, Batman 78 when they were doing this? Well, actually, that this was going on at the same time. 
I mean, this is just like a, a comic book, you know, like, like a fun, breezy, turn your brain off and kind of just read comic book. And it was a lot of fun. Obviously, this is a whole jab at like like internet uh, comic book fans and the fact that like they always have these. I see these kind of like topics every single day, like who would beat who and how would they beat each other. And it was fun for this to like actually be addressed in the medium, you know, to have have to have the the artists and writers actually address these like these uh, paradoxes and how Superman and Batman really wouldn't. First of all, they would never even try to kill each other, and, and or second of all. Um, the, cir- the circumstances would have to be very specific, and they listed a lot of, circum- a lot of circumstances. It even called called uh, Superman and Batman on some of their character conceits, like how Batman would never really kill somebody even if he killed Robin, or why, why Superman hangs out with the Justice League even though he's like one of the most powerful people in the in comic books. Period. Like it, w- it wasn't just about like Superman versus Batman. It was a lot about comic book fandom in general and how they approach things within like both realistic sensibilities and comic book continuity. That that makes for a very fun comic book just to read because it's being put out there and you're you're it resonates with you because you know these thoughts have that across your mind once or twice and it's fun to have it in a very lighthearted, not serious sort of sort of way. Like, but the best part to me was the fact that like Superman and Batman not only were were watching them, but Batman said like Superman said, so, so what do you think? And Batman said, I think I just wasted five minutes of my time. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was funny. But then they they, they smile and go off and. Batman jokes about, oh, yeah, I could beat you or whatever. Like, I thought it was just, you know, there was nothing but fun. The art was excellent. Ed Benes is great when he's not doing cheesecake all the time. Joe Kelly knows how to write a good story, so I love that. I love the first part. I would give this a 5 out of 5, honestly. I really love the, the story. All right, so the Superman Batman number 78 is going to have 4.5 out of 5 batterings. Batman to all points. I could use some air support since I can't fly at all. Now would be good. Batman and Robin number 17. All right, we start off with some sort of weird wedding ritual taking place with people talking in unison. And we get Dick and Damien, uh, clad as Batman and Robin, bursting in saying, Stop this wedding! With awesome Scott McDaniel art. We get a flashback to the grave of Una Nemo, it's, who's a former girlfriend of Bruce Wayne. Dick and Damien are there with Gordon and the cops. Uh, the grave's been dug up and defiled. And the body's missing. We get some background on who this girl is. She was a casual girlfriend of Bruce Wayne's who was on a yacht, and she got shot in the head during a robbery. But get this. The body's been returned to the police department, but the cameras weren't able to pick up who did it. But is it the body of her? They suspect that it's not. Dick is doing some investigations in the Batcave, and Alfred wants to know why they haven't told Bruce yet, and Dick says that he wants to take care of it before Bruce gets back, so... That way, when they tell Bruce, they can see that everything is solved. Bruce and Alfred have a talk about who Una was, and Alfred says there was the girls that he would use when he was pretending to be a playboy. Then there was the girls that he loved. I hope that now that everything's all awesome again, maybe he'll love more than they give each other a look. So when the bodies were returned, there was a finger missing. But guess what? The finger's been returned. Ah, but the finger was returned without a nail. Turns out that the body was rigged to explode, so some more weird stuff is going on. Apparently this person wants to get caught, and again, we don't know if this is the body of Una Nemo or not. Dick and Damien find an invitation to a wedding that's taking place, which is what we saw at the beginning of the book. They show up at the wedding and fight some of the crooks when they realize that the only person missing is the bride. When a woman comes in with a hat covering most of her head, who calls herself the Absence, she takes off her hat, reveals herself as Una Nemo, with a big honking hole in the middle of her forehead, 
Eccles all the way through to her other side. Like, like, like big hole. You, you can stick your fist through there. How is she still alive? We'll have to find out next issue, because to be continued. All right, Batman and Robin number 17. Overall, this story was, was, uh, it wasn't bad. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't great. From everything that we come to expect in the title Batman Robin, this is a really, really big disappointment. I don't think Paul Cornell did a bad job. I think having this story in Batman Robin and really the follow-up to Batman Robin number 16, this is a real, real big letdown. The whole thing is Grant Morrison did a great job on Batman Robin. Grant Morrison has been doing all this stuff. He started the Batman Robin series. Should Batman Robin ended with Morrison? At this point, I'm going to say yes. It should have ended. Because the thing is, this is a completely different tone than what we were getting in, in uh, from Morrison. This is a completely different feel of what we're getting. This is a story that could have appeared in any title, not specifically Batman Robin. And you know when you're picking up Batman Robin, you're getting a good story that... Or you expect to get a good story that plays into the events that are occurring within the Batman universe. Okay, fine. Dick and Damien are Batman and Robin. That's obvious because that's across the entire Batman universe right now. But this doesn't seem like it's supposed to be in this book. And because of that, that's going to lower my rating for that... Scott McDaniel's art was superior superior as usual. I've got no complaints with his art. This this character Unanimo, I don't understand. Batman's one of the characters in the entire comic book world that has so many villains, and yet for some reason we're getting this giant influx of all these new characters. And what really bugs me about this is that Paul Cornell is only on the book for three issues, and Paul Cornell's not going to be doing any other Batman books in the coming months that I mean besides Knight and Squire creating a new villain that is around for three issues really annoys me Morrison I thought was doing it when we started reading Batman Robin but then he started to incorporate these villains that he created back into the series later on it really bugs me when someone creates a villain and then the villain is around for three issues David Hine just did it in detective comics and that was pointless. And then they leave the character wide open so that someone else can pick up and do something with him in the future. That just annoys me because there's already enough characters that you could explore. Morrison's done a great job of bringing characters from Batman's past and other incarnations of Batman into the comics. We don't need to be creating a thousand new villains every single month. And this month specifically, there's a ton of villains that are just popping out of nowhere. So with that, I'm going to give Batman Robin number 17 two out of five bad rings. I enjoyed this. Scott McDaniel, it took me a while to get used to him when I was younger, but he can draw a Batman book anytime. It's, uh, I love it, and it gets me nostalgic for the old uh, Nightwing days, too. I'm not quite sure what's going on here, but I'm... I'm kind of along for the ride here. I'm interested in what is going on with Una Nemo. I did think it was weird that they just created a new character, though, but I suppose it would have been weird for Julie Madison to be walking around with a big hole in her head. So uh, I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. I liked what Cornell did. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I really liked the reveal at the end where she had the hole in her head. That was unbelievable, literally, but uh, it was pretty great. And I thought McDaniel's artwork was great. It was very fun. It was just a lot of fun. Um, and I think that's what the mood of the story is going for, this really crazy, fun issue. 
Um, as much as I enjoyed the issue, like Dustin, I'm having a real problem with this being in Batman and Robin. It just doesn't feel like the title, and it doesn't feel like it fits in with this. And the problem is, I think this book is going to suffer, and it's going to—it's losing readerships. And I think that's going to do a disservice to Cornell and McDaniel. Maybe writing a good arc, but people aren't going to buy it because it's not—it's not Morrison on the book anymore, which is too bad. It just doesn't seem like that Batman and Robin banner on the cover should be with this story, um, which was my fear about this whole th- whole thing where they were going to continue Batman and Robin after 16, which I thought was a perfect opportunity for DC to end this title. I thought Cornell wrote Dick and Damien a little more campy than usual, but I enjoyed that. I think it worked. Um, the one thing I will say about McDaniel is that this issue is very dialogue heavy. And I think his artwork becomes less interesting with less action, which I would say that that is one fault of his work, is that if he's not drawing action, it's not as exciting. Um, Which some artists, it doesn't matter what they're doing, they're so good that it doesn't matter. I enjoy this, I just don't, it it wasn't terrific. But uh, I'll give this three out of five batterings. Zach and uh, Dustin make some good points. It is odd to read a Batman and Robin story that is not tied up in the whole Professor Pig, Dr. Hurt, wonky thing that Grant Morrison's been doing for the past year or so. As much as I really, really enjoyed Batman and Robin under Grant Morrison, especially with the last issue, I can totally understand it being a, a complete gear shift with, you know, going from Grant Morrison to Paul Cornell. I, I understand that. I get that. It just didn't bother me whatsoever um, in that sense. Um, to go from, like, you know, a Grant Morrison story to a, a Paul Cornell story. That being said... I do think I will. I will agree that after six, the the adrenaline rush that was Batman and Robin sixteen, this is definitely a a lot, a lot more straight laced comic book, and maybe that kind of affects everyone's influence or feelings on the issue itself. Um, but I I enjoyed it. I, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought Scott McDaniel was excellent. I really loved his artwork here, and even the writing. I I totally I totally agree that. Uh, Cornell's writing Dick and Damien to be a little more trigger happy, or that's not the right phrase, a little more happier and campier than um, before. But see, I see that this issue takes place after the return, where Damien was a lot more eager to work with with uh, Dick, and he's a lot more accepting of working with Dick as Batman and him as Robin. So I can kind of see Damien letting loose a little bit and being a little more a little more campy, but then saying, "Ah, that was stupid. Let's not do that again." So I kind of like that. I, I like the I liked. The fact that Dick and Damien seem to be pretty eager to, t- to tackle a, a mystery, which I thought was interesting. The plot is is weird as well, um, but it's, to me it seems like a Batman story and not a Grant Morrison story with like a missing finger and all that, especially a Chuck Dixon era story. So I like the plot and the the, the twist at the end with the woman with, it, with a hole in her head was kind of funny. So I, I like this story fine. I'll give it a four out of five better ratings. All right, and on the website, our new reviewer, Melinda, gave Batman Robin number 17 two out of five batarangs. So that is going to give Batman and Robin number 17 three out of five batarangs. Long time no see, Rage. I prefer it to be longer. Shall we say eternity? <laughs> Let's move into our next book, which is Batman Beyond number six. So we end the Batman Beyond miniseries starting off with kind of a recap of exactly what happened in the last pages of issue number five with the clone Dick Grayson saying he's going to blow up bombs at the epicenter of Gotham City causing a massive earthquake. Terry tries to go off 
go after him when all of a sudden Dick Grayson appears and says, I need to go take care of this because this is what I was supposed to do. After studying the blueprints of the bat droids, he grabs some gadgets and him and Terry take off. Um, as they're flying, they get waved down by the Catwoman and they pick her up and they head toward the sewers because Catwoman seems to know exactly where the clone Dick Grayson is located. Uh, we then go to Cadmus where someone called Nathan Bullock is a detective for the Gotham Police Department is talking to Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller tells Bullock that he must have talked to the doctor who was here before and Amanda Waller gives Bullock Dr. Reed's journals talking about her work. Bullock smells a setup and insists that he has search warrants and he's going to search the premises to confirm that this clone was actually a creation of Cadmus Labs. Meanwhile, back at uh, the epicenter underneath the city, the clone Dick Grayson is disarmed by the real Dick Grayson and they have a nice uh, discussion about who's the real Dick Grayson and what it means to actually be Dick Grayson. Uh, the droids are then activated and Terry McGinnis and Catwoman come on down and they start taking him out. The clone Dick Grayson takes Terry McGinnis and is about to throw him off into a pit when somehow he slips and falls and the only bat droid that wasn't deactivated flies up and somehow impales clone Dick Grayson. The bat droid and the clone Dick Grayson fall into the pit and there's an explosion. They obviously don't see the body, but there's no way of knowing whether or not he's actually dead. Dick Grayson, the real one, decides at this point to take all these bat droids and throw them into the pit as well. And Bruce says over the intercom a number of things. He says, Dick, are you okay? Good. Come back to the mansion for a debrief. I know we haven't talked a lot lately, but maybe this gives us a reason to talk. I know it can never be what it was, but you're still my heir, Dick. And Dick Grayson hears this entire thing. Bruce doesn't know this because Terry McGinnis says he's already gone. Back at the Batcave, Bruce explains to Terry that if at this point he wants to stop being Batman, he would completely understand. Terry says, no, there's no way I would reconsider. I'm not going to do it the same way you did, but I definitely can uh, do it a little bit different and still have family, friends, and a life. And then we have an epilogue where Amanda Waller at Cadmus Labs is talking to a doctor who they just hired to take over Dr. Reed's project. Project is essentially, it's kind of a throwback to the epilogue episode of Justice League Unlimited because Amanda Waller states that Gotham must always have a Batman and we see a bunch of test tubes with a bunch of people in them who we can only assume are clones of either Dick Grayson or Bruce Wayne. And that is the end of Batman Beyond number six. All right, so Batman Beyond number six, I thought this was a nice conclusion. Obviously, this the story, different sense, not this specific story, will continue when Batman Beyond becomes its own becomes an ongoing in January, but I thought it did a pretty good job of wrapping up a bunch of things, played into what we saw in Justice League Unlimited, the cartoon, with the epilogue episode, along with things that we saw in the Batman Beyond series. I'm interested to see what happens next. Obviously, this story is wrapped up. We're not going to be seeing the clone Dick Grayson probably anytime in the near future, 
but they did leave the relationship with Terry McGinnis and Catwoman open, which could be quite interesting. But I think overall it was a pretty good job. Uh, Ryan Benjamin's art is not something I tend to really like, but I think it's enjoyable It's in its own sense. It's a little gritty, but I think that gives it a little unique twist instead of being so clean cut like the cartoon was. So I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five Batarangs. Interesting end to the series, and when when this thing started and all we knew was Hush, this is something that we hadn't even considered. This has taken us in places that surprised me. So in my mind, Adam Beechin still hasn't redeemed himself as a writer because this wasn't spectacular writing to me, but it didn't downright suck either. I'm not sure where he's going with this whole uh, Bat Clones things and the ongoing series. For now, I'm just going to have to judge this as the miniseries. So it was it was all right. I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five batterings. I loved how Bruce actually contemplates putting the suit back on at one point. And I was actually hoping we were going to get to see that. But that would have not been good. I also, the thing I loved was Dick calls uh, Bruce old man. And it reminded me of uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, for a few dollars more, where Clint Eastwood calls Lee Van Cleef old man consistently throughout the whole thing. So I, I kind of made that connection. And I like that. I think Beechin did a good job of bringing all the characters back into this issue and giving them all their all their moments. They each of them kind of got like their their five minutes. I thought it was well paced, which Beechin has kind of had a problem with at, in some issues of this miniseries. But I think he's improving. I too am really, I really am starting to like Ryan Benjamin on this book, and I think he fits really well within the Batman Beyond universe, and he draws these characters really well. My main problem with this issue was the ending. So you have all these clones. Does that mean that Terry is just going to keep fighting Dick Grayson clones through the main, the main series? I really hope not. I, I doubt it too. But that was something that I thought when I first, when I first saw it. I, I, I think Adam Beechin wrote a really good miniseries here. And I thought the ending of this miniseries was really satisfying. So I'll give this four out of five batterings. I like the art. I, the art was good in some places. And in some places, I, I didn't care for it. Some of the action scenes I thought were a little stiff. Like when Batman and Catwoman at the end uh, get to jump on the clone Dick Grayson. I, th- I thought that was a little... I don't, I, I don't know if I should say cartoony or overly stylized. But it didn't appeal to me at some of the more quieter scenes with like some of the figures just standing and talking. As an end to the miniseries... It was a good end of the story. For the end of the miniseries, it would be a little more about Terry and Terry's relationship to Bruce and how Terry should be Batman. And it seemed like it was more concentrated on this Dick Grayson, Dick Grayson clone storyline. And in my opinion, this whole scene was was meant to be to pick us up and gear us up and get us ready for Terry McGinnis' own ongoing. And I think that that it should have concentrated more on that than um, Dick Grayson. This is it could be better as a story for the ongoing, somewhere down the line, and it needs to be a lot more focused on Terry, because it seems like Terry is sort of just a cipher in this in this overarching story. But as as a story itself, it was it was decent enough. So I'll give it three out of five better ranks. All right, so that is going to give Batman Beyond number six three and a half out of five better ranks. Tell me something. Why were you so sure those voices weren't coming from you? Well, first, I know I'm not psychotic. I hope your other reason is more convincing. And second, the voice kept calling me Bruce. In my mind, that's not what I call myself. What do you call yourself? Oh, yeah. I suppose you would. But that's my name now. Hmm. 
tell that to my subconscious. Batwoman number zero, written by J.H. Williams III and Thomas Hayden Blackman, with artwork by J.H. Williams III and Amy Reeder. Okay, so this issue runs parallel with the night Kate is fighting and then Bruce investigating her during the day. So it's literally splash pages the entire time with one underneath the other. The issue opens with Batman observing Kate Kane in action as Batwoman, basically assessing her abilities as she fights some members of the religion of of the crime cult. We then cut to Bruce observing Kate as she visits the grave of her mother and sister. The whole time here, too, Bruce is, is wants to be 100% sure that Kate Kane is Batwoman before he approaches her. He then noticed that she only has three fighting techniques, which leads back to her father. And we see Bruce staking out Kate's apartment disguised as a hobo as Jacob Kane leaves. So Bruce continues to observe her in the fight while observing her social activities, like when she visits a club. He then observes her as she gets in a bit of a jam during the fight as one of the members has a cybernetic arm, but she's able to destroy it. And we read Bruce explaining that Kate must wear a wig. And then we see Bruce disguised as a mugger with a wig on with a baseball bat, and he comes at her, and she reacts by kicking him with a move he didn't know existed. So he is now sure that Batwoman is in fact Kate Kane. Kate successfully takes down the cult members, leaving them for the police, and the issue ends with Batman approving of Kate, but suggesting to himself that they need to have a little chat. And that's to be continued in Batwoman number one. Batwoman number zero. There's not really anything I can complain about this. The art is amazing because it's J.H. Williams and it's what we saw in Detective Comics and gave so much praise about when it was when he was doing it in Detective Comics. This is more of that and, you know, you throw Amy Reader in there. I didn't think she did a bad job at all either. The story, I think, was good for a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't go from the Kate Kane perspective which makes sense because it's Batwoman number zero. There was an interview that we talked about in the last podcast where J.H. Williams specifically goes and says, well, we already had issue one. We already knew what we were doing. We already knew what we were doing to kick off the series. So when we were approached to do a zero issue, we didn't know what to do. This was actually a really thoughtful way of doing a story for Batwoman without screwing up what their their plan was for issue number one because bruce wayne returns there's this person running around gotham city who's batwoman she's got a bat on her chest and he doesn't know who it is so he's gonna find out who it is and that's what he does i thought the inclusion of him dressing up in all these disguises was a real nice uh nice bit that i really enjoyed it's a zero issue it's only meant to be a preview it gives readers an inclination of who kate kane is who batwoman is without having to really explain it over the top more so than we need it. And the the best way to do that is from a perspective of someone who doesn't know who the character is and has to learn about them, which is Bruce Wayne. So I'm going to give this four out of five batterings. For the money that they charge for this thing, I would have liked a full-size issue. And somebody said to me, well, it's J.H. Williams' art. So we're getting like a J.H. Williams tax? You know, like, you know, for, for the artists and writers who are really awesome, you know, we're going to pay more for, for their books. That's 
No, two ninety nine for fourteen pages, especially when most of them are splash pages. Especially for something that's supposed to be a preview issue, it feels like a cheat. If they were going to do a zero issue, which I'm not going to get started on that because we did that months ago, make it ninety nine cents or two dollars or something, three bucks for something that they put together at the last minute, fourteen pages. I don't know. Now, apparently, yes, I'm told by everyone this is how it's going to be for all the books. So I guess I might as well get ready. And an issue zero is the way to do that. I like how Bruce did not automatically know that it was Kate King because there was this thing that was going on for a while where, like, the minute that somebody tried a new costume identity, Bruce would just show up at their apartment and be like, I know this was you. And we would never see him doing detective work and figuring it out. And I like that Batman's a detective, but I don't want him to know everything right off the bat. So I like that. And I like how essentially this was done from Bruce's point of view. You know, to kind of justify the fact that we haven't really seen Bruce's interactions with the KK Batwoman. We've seen Dick and a few other people. So uh, this was this was something that I'm almost I almost want to say this is something that was needed, but uh, that would require me to eat a lot of crow. So I'm going to give it two and a half out of five batterings, mostly because of the price. I really like the Kate Kane Batwoman character, and I think Greg Rucka did some like great groundwork with her last year. But I thought Williams and Blackman did a good job of kind of picking things back up, but doing it in a in a different sense. And for a zero issue that wasn't initially intended, I thought this was really good. And even though it was a shorter, it was shorter in page length than normal comics, I thought it was just as satisfying. Uh, I really loved getting to see Bruce do all this detective work and disguise himself to learn more about Kate. And I thought it was a great way to refresh old readers and then reintroduce reintroduce Kate, but then introduce Kate to new ones. But of course, what makes this issue great is the artwork. I mean, J.H. Williams drawing Batman and Batwoman. I mean, I, I just think visually he's the most stunning artist that is at DC, at least. It's just great to look at. And the marriage between the art, the inks, and the colors is just like no other collaboration that there is in comics and i really enjoyed amy reader's stuff in the book and i thought it complements williams work well with those transitions between kate's daily activities and then kate's night activities dave stewart who does the uh, colors is without a doubt i think maybe other than val staples the best colorist in comics the artwork is just so good so i really enjoyed this issue and it got me really excited again Uh, i'm really looking forward to the new batwoman series now Uh, five out of five batterings I personally never read the detective run with Batwoman, and it's been a long time since I've read her initial appearances, like during Fifty Two and stuff. So this is sort of like akin to the Ragman one shot, which sort of like reintroduced me. Uh, and I gotta say, this was really, really well well put together. But consider the talent that's on this book. First of all, not only do you have J.H. Williams writing and, and uh, illustrating, you have legends like David Dave Stewart on colors, Todd Klein lettering. And it all really, really worked together to tell a story. I thought the idea of having a different artist for her, her civilian identity and J.H. Williams do her uh, costume identity, I thought that was really inspired. I'm not sure if I've seen that before. And I thought it really, really worked well, especially with the panel layouts. And I loved how people, y'all said before that this was done by Batman's perspective. So it works very well as a zero issue in that you're getting Batman, you know, the, like the name of the moniker, his, his interpretation of her for new readers, like, like myself. I don't know how much, what else I can say about this, but I didn't expect to enjoy this as much as I did. And I really, really did. I love this. And I, I'm excited about her series now. I mean, 
I had a zero opinion about her until the second I read this. I finished this issue, and now I'm, I'm all for it. So I'm giving this five out of five batterings. This is great. All right, and one of our new reviewers on the website, Eric, gave it four out of five batterings. So that is going to give Batwoman number zero four and a half out of five batterings. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. into our next book, which is Detective Comics number 871. The issue starts off with, at a school, there's a uh, a boy who is being bullied by a larger man. The bully gets uh, pushed by the kid who's being the bully, and instead the, the bully throws him into the water. Uh, once he gets into the water, he, something happens, he transforms, jumps out, and you see the bully's arm, his hand is... Is completely gone and there's blood everywhere and it looks like killer croc just popped out of the water before you think to yourself how did that happen we'll get into the explanation of that in a second but uh back at the penthouse dick grayson is standing in front of the window and alfred comes in and says to him well maybe you should consider uh, decorating the place are you having problems sleeping he says, yeah, I've been having some problems sleeping, but it's normal. Alfred then goes back into the interior design comment and says that he should really try to make the penthouse his own. Then Alfred informs him that Commissioner Gordon is on the way to the Wayne Industries crime lab that Wayne Industries donated basically as a gratitude and kind of a peace offering between the Gotham police and Wayne Industries since Bruce announced that he is funding Batman they don't want to make it seem like they don't support the police so I have this crime lab. Well, unfortunately, nobody's been using the crime lab. But Gordon appears, and he has a he has a vial of a hormonal mutagen. And essentially, what it does is, when you take the mutagen, it turns you into something. Then we get an explanation of Scott Snyder's perspective of how exactly Killer Croc came to be. And basically, the way Killer Croc came to be was he took this mutagen and became the monster that he is. Well, it turns out the same mutagen that Killer Croc took is the same mutagen that this boy took. Dick goes to see the butler of the family with the boy, since the boy is in a coma. He goes to see the butler, and as he's talking to the butler, he finds out that the mother has been traveling the world and hasn't really been around for the son. As the butler is about to tell him something... Out of nowhere, we see a woman come out saying, Bat in my house, bat. And with a shotgun, she shoots the butler through the chest. Batman throws a batarang at the woman, and the woman runs towards the window and jumps out the window. She hits the floor, and obviously she's dead, but on her is a patch that says 10-6, which we know is a Mad Hatter brainwashing patch from years past. Roof of Gotham Police Department, Gordon is talking with Batman about how all these different uh, supervillain items that were in originally in evidence are suddenly appearing with inside these crimes. And they talk about it and they determine that there must be somebody who's in the evidence locker has been stealing this stuff and selling it on the black market. Batman goes to confront the officer who works in the evidence locker and as he does this, 
The man is apprehended and tied up by Batman and hung above a staircase. Uh, his wife, or girlfriend, shows up with a automatic machine gun and says that she's going to shoot him. Batman very cleverly puts his finger, his hands up in the air when she says and shoots off this little string from his finger. It turns out to be a bat taser. She gets it right in her forehead and is shocked to the ground. And the scene where Batman smiles is priceless. Batman proceeds to question the the officer when he says, I don't know anything except for his name is The Dealer. And he runs an operation called The Mirror House. He collects the villain stuff and sells it to the highest bidder at these underground auctions. While he's explaining this, he starts coughing. He spits up some blood and all of a sudden we see Ivy vines coming out of his every orifice that he has in his body and the man is dead um at this point batman says that he has to find out what's going on and he's going to bring the whole house down if need be and that's the end of the the feature the co-feature follows gordon and we see gordon at his house getting a phone call from harvey bullock who's saying that he needs to come down to the gotham avery and Gordon says, well, what is it? And he says, you just need to come down here and see for yourself. So Gordon goes down there and they find out that a bunch of the birds were released, but they were all in cages that had automated locks. So someone had to break in and mess with the computer to control the locks. They go to look at the security cameras. And while they're looking at the security cameras, they see three people walking out. Harvey Bullock says, are you seeing who I'm seeing? Gordon has a very stunned look on his face. Next thing you know, he goes back to his house, and when he gets to his house, there's blood on the, the floor and on the wall, and he thinks there's somebody inside of his closet. He says, James, James. He opens up the closet, and he sees a little boy wearing glasses, and he says, what have you done? What have you done? When suddenly, there's a giant hawk or eagle that bursts through the window that has a rat in its hands that flies off. And down below, we see a man wearing glasses staring up at Commissioner Gordon in the rain. And that is the co-feature, which will conclude Detective Comics number 871. Alright, so Detective Comics number 871. Overall, this was an amazing issue. This was like the core Batman stories that I remember reading, that I enjoy reading. Everything about this book was great. The art by Jock, again... Not necessarily the best thing in the world that I like, but I really like it with the story that Scott Snyder wrote. The inclusion of the gadgets that that Dick uses with the constant use of batarangs, the constant use of the well, the use of the bat taser that was classic. I mean, that the, 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 I've never seen something as I, that might actually be the. Bat, the best bat gadget use ever. I, I just have to say that that was that was awesome. <laughs> um, the co-feature basically running into what was going on inside the book with the overall theme of the the birds and the vultures that we saw in the beginning, and then the birds that got loose out of the cages in the co-feature. It kind of plays together, and the fact that this person who could have possibly let these birds out could be none other than Jim Gordon's son. I mean, we haven't seen Jim Gordon's son forever. This this is something that nobody's talked about in years and years and years, and it's an interesting point just to bring back and really get Gordon really spooked and how it could have been anybody. Who 
So with that, if it does end up being Jim Gordon's son, I've got to say I do want to see the effect that that has on Barbara and how that plays into things too because that could be an interesting story in itself. This was a great story. I have no complaints, five out of five batterings. This was the best issue of Detective that they've had probably since uh, the original Batwoman run with J.H. Williams and Greg Rucka ended. This was really good. Uh, I liked some of the little things like the repercussions of Bruce Wayne's announcement or actually this is one thing that's bothering, that's bothered me in the other books is that the repercussions of Bruce Wayne's big announcement have not been addressed. We can have eight books about, you know, people reacting to his return, but the announcement that he's funding Batman, nobody reacts to that, but here we see something that was the fallout of that, which was Tim Drake's idea that, well, the cops might get pissed that we're not offering assistance to them, so there's the crime lab, and we get some good interaction between Dick Grayson and uh, Commissioner Gordon, even though it involves a continuity error about Dick and Babs apparently going to the prom together. But, you know, we they talk about their history, and even Dick's history um, as a cop, and we bring in little things from continuity, like the serum that Hush had given the killer croc to make him mutate from just a guy with a skin disease to an actual crocodile, and I like the detective aspect of this story. Um, interesting to see where it's going, and the backup was good, too. You know, uh, are they bringing back James Gordon Jr., and are they bringing him back as, like, a creepy psycho villain? That picture of him in the rain watching his dad... That was creepy. Uh, Detective Comics is on the right track. Let's hope it stays on that track. I'm giving this five out of five batterings. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Detective Comics, to me, should always be hard-boiled detective stories, and that's what Scott Snyder and Jock gave us. And it's really giving giving us that tone that was so prominent in those old-school detective runs. One thing I really liked about kind of the plot of this issue was the idea of the, sm- the smuggling police evidence and the evidence evidence having all these ties to these different villains which allows Snyder to kind of dabble in those classic Batman villains but in a clever way without really having them in the book I thought his characterization of Dick was uh, interesting he isn't as lighthearted here but you still distinctively know that it's Dick Grayson under the cow I enjoyed the the nod to Jim Corrigan in the issue being a, a big Gotham Central fan I thought the interactions between Commissioner Gordon and Dick were excellent and I think that's something that is very important because to me Gordon's biggest role in any of these books should be within detective comics and I think Snyder also agrees with that because Gordon was really prominent throughout this book not just in the backup bat taser moment i thought was terrific jock's artwork on the page is really good speaking of jock anybody that wants to say he's inconsistent that's to me that's kind of unfair that's just his style and that's the way that's and while his things that he draws and and bodies and things may look different from panel to panel his his artwork fits snyder's tone and mood perfectly like there are only a handful of artists that i think have that ability to really capture those dark tones and themes and give it that noir feel at least artists in comics and i really like how jock is drawing batman i think it's very unique the thing that i really love I really love his style is that it creates this creepy mood that makes it seem like there's always danger lurking in the background. So it keeps you on, allow you to get disinterested in the story. So I think that's great. But overall, the main story was terrific. The Gordon co-feature, first off, Francesco Francavilla. Our work is amazing. It's just terrific. If there's one thing in this entire issue that I don't think anybody should complain about, it was his artwork. 
the characters look very real, and he's able to express their emotions in a very real way, which I think is refreshing. So I thought he really fit that urban noir bill. Snyder really writes a great Gordon, and I think that he is really one of the only few writers who has seemed to really understand how important Gordon should be in these books. And the reveal of Snyder bringing Gordon's son back, apparently, uh, that's a really interesting move. So I really enjoyed the co-feature as also. Uh, overall, I'll give this book five out of five batterings. I wasn't as high on this issue as you guys, but in your discussions of it, you actually did turn my mind around, and not just because... I'm a conformist who like, like, likes to follow a pack. Like, you, you had some great points, and I got to admit, this is actually a really good issue. I do like that this is a, a straightforward Batman story with Dick Grayson now. You see Dick Grayson's uh, discomfort in the bat, in Wayne Tower now that Bruce is back. And you see, like, his relationship with, with Jim Gordon and everything, because he, he does have a relationship with Gordon. What I initially didn't like about it was I thought there was too, a little too much death. And that makes it sound like a pansy, but it just seemed like this issue was just... It seemed to me like this issue like, hinged on a lot of superficiality where, like, uh, greedy crime was, was concerned. I had to wrap my head around and say, well, this is Gotham City. This is Batman we're talking about, and not everything is always bright and shiny. So get over it, Don. The art, I didn't like the art, but then again, I did, because there were some panels where it looked really, really cool. Like, I actually like the panel where he uses the Bat-Taser, like, where he uses his finger. I thought that's really good rendering. And so the main feature was really solid. I, I also really liked the backup feature because I was reading it and I was like, okay, here's another backup feature. Gordon's involved. What's going on? Is this going to be worth any? Is this going to be worth anything at all? And then you get James Gordon, huh? And that instantly perked up my attention. Also, what's cool is that in the first page of the backup, you see photos of Jim Gordon's family. On the far left, you see him and Barbara in a wheelchair. The middle is him, Barbara, and Sarah Essen. Which is a continuity error because they didn't get, they didn't get married when she was uh, um, paralyzed. At least I don't think so. Well, the point about this is that yeah. Well, not to mention there's another picture right next to her of somebody who's not a blonde with a small Barbara and a small James. Well, what, what I was going to say is that you know what hints that this is James's son or Jim's son James is that you have the picture of his original wife Barbara and baby James and little Barbara. Which I th- and it's in shadow, which I thought was very uh, symbolic. The art was very nice in that just the idea that James Gordon's sons come back to haunt him for, for one reason or another is awesome. So you know what? It's, this is a really solid issue. I guess I'm giving this four and a half out of five batterings. And our new reviewer, Eric, gave it five out of five batterings as well, which is going to give Detective Comics number 871 five out of five batterings. Don't you just love it when he gives them to you gift wrap? Let's move into our next book, which is Gotham City Sirens, number 17. Well, last issue, Catwoman got kidnapped and taken underground, leaving Harley, Ivy, Zatanna, and Talia there to try and rescue her. So they go underground searching for Selina, who's stuck in some sort of trance, thinking that she's dancing with Bruce Wayne, but then being attacked by some people. Their girls run into Shrike who wants to tell Harley and Ivy that basically Catwoman's been lying to them about what she told them at the beginning of Gotham City Sirens about there being more than one Batman and that that's why they've kidnapped Catwoman to get the real identity out. Zatanna and Talia try to shut up Shrike and even use a spell on him, which doesn't really work that well. 
Shrike is taken care of, but by the time they get to Selena, she screams Bruce's name to her captor, who says, I knew it. Yeah, it's a guy named Senpai who Talia recognizes, and he gets away, but uh, they think that Catwoman did not blow the secret because they got there after Catwoman woke up saying Bruce. Privately, Zatanna and Talia have a talk about how this was too much of a close call, and Senpai was actually a student of Talia's grandfather, Sensei. And, you know, there's some stuff a-brewing, and basically Catwoman cannot know that Bruce Wayne is Batman because there was that thing that happened at the beginning of Gotham City Sirens, and now this. So they decide to wipe the knowledge from her mind, and that's the end of Gotham City Sirens. Gotham City Sirens number 17. This issue, I, I think at this point we can it's all safe to say that Paul Dini is not going to be on this book. Now, Paul Dini was obviously the the driving force of probably the pitch for this series, but the fact that does the, he only writes an issue every once in a great while, it's come to the point where they need to get a different writer, and that writer for now is Peter Calloway. I don't think he's doing a bad job with what he has to work with. I think the issue is there's going to be a couple of issues that are going to come up very shortly here. One, Ivy and Harley, it's going to need to be addressed about, well, why has Selena been lying to them all along and she actually does know the identity of Batman. If that's the case, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to play into the Batman Inc. thing where Bruce Wayne is going to appear right next to Batman or something like that, and that's the only way it's going to be debunked is if she wasn't lying. Or two, they're going to wrap the series up and they're going to end it because Catwoman's no longer going to be working with them. Catwoman is really the star of the series because, one, she's got things going on in other Batman books, too. I mean, she was in Batman, Inc. She was in... She's in Batman. She's in Batman, Incorporated. She's She was in Batman The Return. She has a role that can work. Harley and Ivy seem to be more of the supporting cast for this, this series, as Catwoman is really... It's her series. The thing is, if they're going to make it a Catwoman series, just make it a Catwoman series. Don't try to, like, keep it a... Gotham City Sirens series where Harley and Ivy are just these supporting cast characters because really they're not really doing a whole lot with those two characters. They need to either do more or just make it a Catwoman series. So with that, I'm going to give it two and a half out of five bad rings. I enjoyed this somewhat. Uh, I've always been, I I don't want to say a defender of Gotham City Sirens, but I haven't hated as much as some other people have, but as you can hear by the short recap, really not a lot happened. It was basically the chase to get Catwoman and some banter between the girls in between and Harley getting mad because somebody mentioned her Mr. J in a negative context. Zatanna and Talia need to get off of their high horse. How many times has Talia used Bruce's identity against him, but like they decide together, yeah, Selena... We should we should wipe you know Bruce's identity from her mind. Um, Bruce is back now. Shouldn't you you know talk to him about this? Especially because now they're kind of crime fighters with benefits, as of uh, a book that we're about to discuss next. It's just where do they get off deciding that stuff? That bothered me. Now we don't know if the, her mind is actually going to be wiped, and I'm doubting that it will be because. This has been the status quo for a while, and they tried wiping the identity from Catwoman's mind after Crisis, and only to reverse it in Hush, so we'll see. I like the art in this. Uh, I'm interested in this stuff that they're doing with Senpai and Sensei, uh, and crossing over into the other books, so I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. Yeah, I would say Andre's 
Guinaldo's artwork is very consistent, and I thought the fight scenes with Shrike were really well done. Gotham City Sirens works best to me when it's just Selena, Harley, and Ivy doing crazy little shenanigans. As soon as you try to take this and make it some dramatic story, it fails. Not because these characters are strong enough. I mean, this is just about all of the best female characters as far as like the villains go in the Batman universe. But it just doesn't work. We know that the book, the events in this book are not going to be lasting effects. And that's really why if Paul Dini isn't going to write this book every month, to me there is no reason to keep publishing it. Catwoman is has Dustin talked about Catwoman's appearing in all these other books. Talia is making appearances in other books, and Harley and Ivy work best in supporting roles when they aren't showing up all the time. So I feel like you're kind of stretching their their characters' limitations. One other thing is the whole Selena and the others in the same place at different times or whatever reminded me of that stupid Lake House movie with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, which I don't like to be reminded of. Uh, I thought this was really poorly written, to be honest. Josh talked about that moment with Harley getting angry over the somebody saying something about the Joker. It's the was, day. Yeah, I thought that that that's everybody trying to do a characterization of Harley from the TV show that doesn't work. In, makes her seem stupid. Yeah, it makes her seem really dumb on the page, and it made her look dumb in the show at times. I think too. But overall, I just did not find this that interesting. But I'll give this two out of five batterings. Yeah, I, it's actually really good at articulating what I think. And that um, I don't really care about the drama that goes on between um, the females in Batman's life. I don't want to make it seem like I, don't, I can't read a female comic book. Because clearly I can't. I love Batgirl. Uh, both Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain. And, I, and I, I, I'm a fan of Catwoman. I like Catwoman. I like Harley Quinn, I like Poison Ivy, but it just seems so like hollow when whenever there's this plot like Ivy's you know in it with aliens and you know Selena and Harley have got to save her or you know people are after Bruce Wayne's secret identity and now only Poison Ivy, Harley, and Catwoman can save the day. It almost seems like a parody with this crap because like really I, I don't know it it, it it seems like it's the wrong kind of style of book. Like, like for the characters and for like this type of this is a bat title. It doesn't feel like it whatsoever. And I'm not read the earlier issues with Paul Dini, but I can tell that it seriously lost its way because just because of the way Paul Dini writes these characters um, anywhere else. And I just wasn't very excited about what's going on. So two out of five batterings. All right. And on the website, Eric gave the book three out of five batterings. So that is going to give Gotham City Sirens number seventeen. Two and a half out of five batarangs. Poison Ivy. It's been a long time, Harvey. You're still looking halfway decent. Half of me wants to strangle you. And what does the other half want? To hit you with a truck. We used to date. Ah. Batman number 704 written and drawn by Tony Daniel. The issue begins in the outskirts of Gotham City where we see a Professor Sinat betray a brother of the order over the phone and then the press professor and his family are murdered by someone we don't see they're off panel we cut to devil square where dick and damien intervene in a fight between catgirl and the reaper initially the trio struggle with the reaper but dick is able to finish him off and catgirl disappears bruce then arrives and explains to dick and damien that he's leaving gotham and that it is their responsibility and he also tells Dick that Catgirl has got to go. She is nothing but trouble, and Dick agrees. 
We cut to Fong's antique shop in Chinatown, where a mysterious figure walks into the place only to learn that it has been rigged with dynamite and the building explodes. We cut to the following day at Wayne Tower, where one Sasha Lowe of the Tang Lo Foundation is proposing that with the help of Wayne Enterprises, they begin to rebuild and revitalize Gotham's most dangerous neighborhoods, starting with Crime Alley. Dick and Lucius Fox try to convince Sasha to start somewhere else, but she refuses and awaits for Bruce Wayne's answer to their offer, since he is the owner of that property. That night in Gotham's Diamond District, where there is a wealthy party where Selina Kyle seems to be cleaning up pretty well when she's approaches, she approaches Dick, who she sees standing watching her, and asks him why he is spying on her. Dick wants to talk to Katrina, and Selina swears she doesn't know where she is. This leads to an argument, and Dick tells Selina that Katrina has got to go, and then leaves. And then we see Katrina appear who, asking who that is, and Selina says, someone you want to stay away from, and mentions that she has a plane to catch, tying in with Batman Inc. We cut to Dick driving in West Gotham when a limo pulls out in front of him. Uh, the limo contains Sasha Lowe. She explains that she has to leave the country immediately, and again stresses that Bruce Wayne must sell them his rundown properties. Suddenly, an arrow comes flying out of nowhere, and Sasha pushes Dick out of the way and flies off with a grappling gun. Dick, in his civilian clothes, begins to chase after her, and we see the bat plane drop a package, and before you know it, Dick is in the bat suit. We soon see that Sasha Lowe is a character known as the Peacock, and she is fighting a group of Asian assassins. Back in the limo, we see that one of the assassins has commandeered the vehicle and now has her younger brother. And then we see the sensei lunging at Batman and Peacock. To be continued. Batman number 704. Again, another good issue. The thing that I find really interesting about this is... This kind of crosses into what just happened in Gotham City Sirens. Okay, so we have the Sensei as the closing point. Is the Sensei really the Sensei? Is this Sensei that is Talia's grandfather? If so, how does Talia not know that he's still alive? If he is still alive... Why would he have to have anything to do with this guy Senpai would have any need to take revenge on Batman if the Sensei is still alive? So if that's the case, and this really is the Sensei, it really just throws out Peter Calloway's story in Gotham City Sirens because there's no reason to wipe Catwoman's mind because Senpai will not need to take revenge on Batman. Bruce Wayne's identity as Batman will stay intact. So that completely gets rid of that entire storyline, which may be the case. Who knows? We'll see. Tony Daniels' art was a lot more cleaner than we've seen in the past. I think it might have been because, well, one, he had a little bit more time to work on the issues. The fact that we had the month for Road Home and the fact that this art was a little cleaner than that. And even going as far back as when he was doing the art and writing before, way back, I think the last one he did was 697. It's even This art was even cleaner than that. But I think that's something that's going to happen as time goes on. His art is going to not be as clean because he's going to be pressed for time. That's one thing that we, we saw when he was working on Batman before. His art was very good to begin with, and then as time progressed, it, was, it became a little bit more sloppy. Um, and that's just because it's difficult, I'm sure, to, to write and draw a book. It's just the case. I like the element of the Sensei coming back. I'm really curious to know this Peacock character, the chick from China. What is her obsession with buying Crime Alley? That interests me. 
there's a whole other thing going on with Chinatown that is kind of like the side story right now that I'm sure will play into future issues as well. The the Kid Arena thing is something that some people are, are not really finding really appropriate and really enjoying. But I think the issue with that is people assume that because she's appearing, Tony Daniel automatically needs to give her a story, give her an origin, develop her character. And... We seem to forget that this is Batman's book. It's not Catwoman's book. It's not Kid Arena's book. It's Batman's book. So the story is going to focus on Batman a good majority of the time. You can have these little side things to enhance the character, but I think it's going to be some time before we actually learn a lot more about Kid Arena. Overall, this issue, good stuff. Four out of five Batarangs. I'm liking uh, some of the stuff here. Uh, I wish that they would have had a mention about Tim buying and deciding to live in that Crime Alley theater because that kind of would have been relevant here with this family buying Crime Alley. Not digging Catgirl, didn't dig her the first time around. And Dick, you know, being so condescending to Selena. Okay, so Bruce wants Catgirl shut down. So he tells Dick, hey, shut Catgirl down. You're about to go to Tokyo with Selena, who's like basically in charge of this whole Catgirl thing. Maybe during your little Tokyo trip, you can have her do it since like she's the source of all this. Just saying. Catgirl's in Gotham. Not. Dick's responsible. Right. Gotham, but like, yeah. yeah, but Selena is like the one who's in charge of Catgirl. So uh, I, I am liking the art. Say what you want about Tony Daniels writing, but his art is always very dynamic. Uh, I think that there's a bit too much going on in this book, and it's not being juggled seamlessly like the Crime Alley family and Catgirl and the other stuff, but um, I'm liking his take on Dick Grayson as Batman so far, so I'm giving it three and a half out of five batterings. I thought this was a really decent return made by Tony Daniel to the to the main title. As far as his artwork goes, I thought it was really good. I think he's really ironed out a lot of the mistakes that he's been making from an artistic standpoint, and I think that that has been consistently shown throughout as he's worked on books. Um, to me, he draws two different styles when he's drawing his book and then he's drawing somebody else's book. When he was like drawing R.I.P., he has different character designs. Uh, I prefer the R.I.P. designs, but I think his artwork is really fine-tuned here. And I do think the best thing about his artwork is the character designs, because I think they look really good, especially Bruce in the Batman costume. We get that, that page. My only complaint is, though, is then when Dick and Bruce are sharing panels together, their faces look very similar which um, is a minor complaint, but otherwise I thought the artwork was really good. I thought, story-wise, this was enjoyable, but I thought it was confusing, and I thought the pacing was really chaotic. There's a lot of talking in this issue between the meeting with Sasha and Dick and the meeting with Selena and Dick, and I did not like the interaction between Dick and Selena, because I know that they're trying to build on that sexual tension or whatever, but I just don't like the way Daniel writes her. She comes off really irritated and angry, and I don't like when she's written that way. Okay, Catgirl is a growing problem with this book. Yes, this is Batman's title, but if you're going to put Catgirl in this book, you have to address her. You can't just have her floating around here in and out. And she's what's really annoying is that there's no character development being made with her whatsoever. And she doesn't fit in with the rest of the Bat family. And it seems that Daniel wants to make her a central character in this book. So if, if he wants to do that, he really needs to work on her character. It, you you can't just have her there and her just kind of like being a hindrance to or a, or a, a a problem. It doesn't work. It gets annoying. I don't. I mean, it just does. Otherwise, 
Daniel, I think, writes one of the better Dick Graysons in uh, on the other Batman titles, and I especially thought that was shown when Bruce and Dick were interacting. He gives Dick that like playful attitude that separates him from everybody else. So I think that's a plus on uh, Daniel's part. I'm just not sure where this is going. Uh, there's a lot of new plot threads and conflicts that are introduced, and I'm not seeing where they converge and meet up at all. So while I like some of the writing he's doing with the characters and the introductions he's making, which I thought the sensei showing up, which is really I thought was really cool because I've always really liked that character, so I look forward to reading more about that. But this plot just isn't making a whole lot of sense, and I guess I have to wait to see, to see that it is explained. But overall, I thought that this was decent, so I'll give this three out of five batterings. I think this is another Tony Daniel Batman issue. I, I really didn't want to use the word ad, the adjective typical. It was very much like the, the Batman stuff he was doing before uh, the whole Bruce Wayne Returns storyline. It wasn't bad, but it didn't blow me away. I do find it more interesting than the mob storyline initially. I like how they're confronting this crazy cat girl thing. I think Tony Daniel's art, I'm really used to the, the kind of art he was doing back in R.P. when he was with Morrison. So this stuff, I'm still kind of getting used to. It's a lot more round. A lot, he makes the characters look a lot more bulkier and meatier. And it almost it almost looks like a different artist, but it's still solid art to me. The plot I find interesting, it doesn't seem to be straying off a lot. It seems it seems pretty focused. And there are little things I like. Like I, I really like how um, Batman or Dick and Damien continue their banter. Um, and I also like, I love every time I read a Batman comic when they do things like having Robinson Park or Minch Row. I love the fact that it's almost become a staple in the Batman comics to have uh, landmarks named after the creators of the past. And I really like the fact, especially with Robinson Park, that's been very consistent. So th- those kind of things made me enjoy the issue more. As for, as for the issue itself, really, I, re- I really actually like where this is going. This is, this is a Tony Daniel issue I've liked more than the most of his uh, past ones. So I'll give this three and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batman number 704 three and a half out of five batterings. And now comes the part where I relieve you, the little people, of the burden of your failed and useless lives. But as my plastic surgeon always said, if you got to go, go with a smile. Since <laughs> let's move into our next book, which is Batman Streets of Gotham number 17. So the story starts off with Harley Quinn who's driving her car through Gotham. She gets to the animal shelter, and once she's there, uh, she sees Selena. Uh, Selina asks her what she's doing, and Harley tries knocking her out, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Batman appears and takes her out. All of a sudden, Selina says to her, uh, says to Batman, Oh, Dick, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, nice to see you. Bruce says to her, No, it's, it's me. They engage in a nice kiss. Uh, Harley starts to wake up, and Selina knocks her out again. Uh, then we see a character who finds, we find out that, uh, Harley Quinn and a number of people around Gotham City have been sleepwalking. This character is going to be going by the name Bedbug, and he is controlling a number of people around Gotham City. I guess nothing but bedbugs. The whole reason Bruce is there is to tell Selina that Hush has disappeared. Then what happens is 
Bruce tells her somehow he was kidnapped and it was pretty obvious that the person they were intending to kidnap was actually Bruce Wayne. We then see a flashback from Tommy Elliot about Judson Pierce and his memories all about person Judson Pierce, who is the person who's actually kidnapped him. He remembers his mom and dad talking about them and basically swindling them out of money. We then see Tommy Elliot chained to a bed in a what appears to be a cell and Judson Pierce and his two little henchmen walk in and he says you know this is what's gonna happen I'm a sick old dying man and I don't have long to live I don't like you Bruce Wayne and I'm going to kill you because of it. Well, Tommy Elliott is a little bit more interested of why exactly he doesn't like him. So he listens to a story. So Tommy Elliott listens to Pierce's story of how he was trying to get a bunch of different properties in an area of Gotham City. And one of the properties he was trying to get was a clinic that was run by Leslie Tompkins. Well, at the time, Martha Kane, Bruce Wayne's future mother, was also working at the clinic with Leslie Tompkins. One day after the situation that happened in the previous issue, where Bruce Wayne's father, Thomas Wayne, threw up on Martha Kane's lap, he decides to come in with his butler and try to apologize for the situation. As it turns out, he he knows who Leslie Tompkins is, and Leslie Tompkins knows who he is. He says he's one of the best surgeons that she knows, but sometimes he tends to act more like a playboy. Alfred, who is obviously much younger than we know of him now, makes some snarky remarks, kind of flirting with Leslie Tompkins. Outside the hospital, henchmen working for the crime boss who's trying to take over the property is none other than Judson Pierce, and he's told to go inside and take out the people inside. When they go inside, they get off one shot, which only hits Leslie Tompkins in the arm, and Alfred makes very quick work of all these people. Uh, then what ends up happening is we then go back to the present time, where Judson Pierce says, you know, this is enough talking, We're just gonna, I'm just going to kill you. That's just the way it goes. Um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Tom Elliott shows that he doesn't even have the handcuffs attached to him, takes out the henchman very quickly and gets a gun, shoots one of the henchmen, throws the other henchman into the concrete wall, and explains to Judson Pierce with the gun drawn at him that, listen, I'm not Bruce Wayne, look at my face. And you can see the scars from his plastic surgery. He goes, I'm not Bruce Wayne, I'm somebody else. And the only thing that I'm going to, the only thing that you need to know about who I am is I'm the one man who can help you destroy the Wayne legacy to be continued. We get into the co-feature, which is a new co-feature, featuring Ragman, and see a couple scenes of Ragman saving a bunch of people from a burning building. There's a bunch of fires that have been happening all throughout Robbinsville, and Ragman is questioning why it's getting worse. Uh, we then see a woman is watching the fires, but we don't know who the woman is. The next day, we find out that Mayor Hattie has a message for the people of Robbinsville and is basically telling them, you need to seek alternative housing. Everything around here is old and broken, and we need to make the place better. By doing so, we can create more jobs for people around this area, too. Uh, Roy Reagan hears this entire thing happening outside and leaves his store. The cameras decide to follow him and say, you know, what, what do you think about this whole situation? And he says, I have no comment. Well, when one of the mayors, the mayor 
decides to press him and says, I'd love to know what you think about it. And he says, you know what, I don't want to talk to you about it because your actions speak louder than words. Roy Reagan is going to his first day of his new wor- his new job, and it is none other than working at the Gotham City Police Department. But he's not a cop. He's actually working as a messenger boy where he brings evidence between the crime scenes and the crime labs. He brings the bodies from the crime scenes to the coroner's office, that kind of thing. Um, He gets his first job. He has to go get a floater out of the river and take it to the morgue. Uh, We then see a building, which we assume is in Robbinsville since it's very broken down, and someone having a conversation with somebody we assume over the phone. We see it's another than Garfield Linz. And he's saying that he has, he would like to do nothing better than to burn all of Gotham City. And that is Batman Streets of Gotham number 17. Overall, the issue is pretty good. I think the one thing that Paul Dini is doing a very good job of is developing the Hush character. The whole story about developing the history of the Wayne family is quite interesting. I was kind of thrown off last issue with Thomas Wayne throwing up on Martha Kane's lap. Didn't really see where that was going, but I think it kind of fixed it. I really liked seeing the younger version of Alfred just basically make really quick use of those henchmen, taking them out despite the fact that they had guns. It just proves that Alfred in his younger days could have been somebody like Batman. The art by Dustin Wen is is good. I'm interested to see what's going to happen. I'm almost more interested to to know why all of a sudden Tommy Elliott can show off these scars and say, I'm not really Bruce Wayne, but nobody else that he's come into contact with has noticed that at this point. The co-feature, I think, is probably a little bit better. As far as story goes, the story really, there really wasn't a lot to it. Roy Reagan gets a job, and I'm sure that'll play into, you know, him as... Ragman, but the art for the co-feature, this is amazing stuff. The second to last page, the actually the last page of the co-feature, we see the building where Garfield Lins is located. Outside, it looks almost as if it's an actual picture. This is like very detailed art. It's really, really good. And I don't think I've seen any art this detailed in a really long time. Um, even so much as in the office of the sergeant that Roy Reagan is going to be working under. There's a lot of detail in it. The cityscapes outside the rags and tatter pawn shop, very, very detailed. There's a scene where the, the girl that we don't know who it is, but we'll come to find out, she's staring off at the fire that's happening in Robbinsville. There's a picture, there's a panel of the bridge that leads into Gotham City. It is... Really, really good. Seisman Karonsky did the art for this, and I gotta say, he did the art for the Commissioner Gordon one-shot, but I think this art is even more detailed than the art that we saw in that. I can see that it's the same type of style, but there just seems to be so much more detail, and I really, really enjoy it. So Streets of Gotham is going to get a 4 out of 5, 4 out of 5 batterings for me. I'm loving uh, the continuing subplot of Tommy Elliott, a.k.a. Hush, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne. That's been one of the more interesting subplots right in the Batman books for the last few years. So I've enjoyed this story. Uh, We have Bruce reuniting with Selina. So I guess uh, this is basically what happened. Return home. She meets him as insider. Oh, my God, Bruce, you're alive. Uh, She sees him here. Oh, my God, Bruce, you're alive. And then in... uh, 
the return. Hey, I just came back from the dead. Want to go to Tokyo with me? So we've had like three different reactions to him coming back. Now, you can say that all of those happened and because she never says, oh, this is me finding out for the first time. But it's something that could have been coordinated a little better, in my opinion, especially because this moment felt a lot similar to the one that was done in uh, Road Home Catwoman. But um, I liked the flashbacks, uh, like Dustin said, to things like Alfred, Younger, and everything. How, how often do we get to see a younger Alfred? And now Tommy Elliott's not really being Bruce Wayne is starting to be unraveled to other people. I'm interested to see where this is going and that this story is finally being told because it's kind of been in the background for a little bit. So I'm giving it four out of five rings. Dustin Gwynn, good artwork as usual. and I wish I had more to say sometimes because I think we take his consistency for granted but he really just is a really well-rounded artist this new villain bedbug though really paul dini you really feel the need to create another new villain especially a guy named bedbug paul dini is one of the biggest culprits of this because he has been doing this consistently in this book and then he leaves the book and then he comes back. He's he's not on. He hasn't had a consistent track record in the last year. To me, I don't know why he feels the need to continuing to introduce new characters. My big problem with this whole arc is that this is supposed to be a sequel to Heart of Hush, and this isn't anywhere near as good or interesting as that storyline was. I thought the Selena and Bruce stuff was well written, but like Josh, I I don't get why we are getting all these reunions between the two throughout all these different books. I was glad to see Hush actually doing something and taking some control of some situation. I mean, for the longest time in this book, he's just been sitting around. I was glad to see that he there was some sort of action with that character. I like that Dini is exploring that Wayne family history with the flashbacks. I find that really interesting. I thought this was a decent issue, and I like and I I do think I know I'm a little hard on Paul Dini sometimes. I do think he writes well-rooted crime stories. I just don't. The problem is, is that this book is not feeling any, uh, it's not filling any niche for me at this point. I, with the way Snyder seems to, he's going to be writing detective. I, I just, I don't know that I need, I need this anymore. As far as the Ragman Co. feature, it's hard to get immersed in this because we know it's not going to be there for really that long. But I thought it had great atmosphere, and I really liked the artwork a lot. It really made Ragman seem like this larger-than-life, almost like entity. And I thought that was an interesting approach to, in comparison to the uh, recent one-shot. So uh, overall, I'll give this book three out of five batterings. Before I start with like this issue review, uh, I think it's, it's in pertinence to the overall review. I was, I was listening to another podcast that was going over the first storyline of the Streets of Gotham era with Paul Dini. And they were kind of down on it because they mentioned that nothing really happened. And that made me think, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they're, they're completely wrong. I mean, even when Paul Dini was in the book and not playing hopscotch with other writers, um, how much how much stuff did really happen besides, you know, some one and done's Damien fighting his ass here or there? And and it kind of, it kind of made me reconsider the overall quality of Streets of Gotham because I figured it was going to be just Paul Dini's detective run gone over to a new book. It's really stagnant. Yeah, yeah it's been very just there. I assume that we would see characters like Gordon and the GCPD, like another Gotham uh, Gotham Central s kind of book with from with Dini's point of view. But really, it's kind of been like random and i was wondering when i listened to that if i was just grading like all the issues i graded highly just because it was paul dini because i am a big paul dini fan so i i read this again i read this twice and 
while I initially liked it, I still like it. I'm going to give it a, a favorable grade. Not much does happen besides uh, Hush starting his plot to get to screw over Batman again at the end. At the same time, I, I can't deny that I'm very interested because Paul Dini is going over Bruce Wayne's parents' origins, the origins of Leslie Tompkins and uh, Martha Kane back then. And I just find that really interesting. Uh, it was interesting to see <laughs> uh, Alfred with like a Fu Manchu thing going on and using his uh, fighting skills. That was really cool. So even though I must say that this book doesn't really have that much going on most of the time, this issue kind of did for me. And I like the art. I like the very end. I like the flashbacks. And um, I thought the backup was all right. Um, I was a little more excited by the by the one shot than the actual storyline. I don't know how much to say about that. The, I wish this title had more going on. It'll be a little faster paced. But as it stands, this is, I will give it a four out of five batteries. But I want, I would like this to see this title kind of move it up a bit, I guess. All right, so that's going to give Batman Streets of Gotham number 17 four out of five batterings. Daka and his men plan the theft of a vital radium shipment. With success almost in their grasp, they meet opposition from Batman. Batman Incorporated number one, written by Grant Morrison with artwork by Yannick Paquette. The issue opens with Mr. Unknown, the Japanese hero that Batman is seeking, being tortured and then murdered by the new villain from the Batmanga, Lord Deathman, while they are in Mr. Unknown's headquarters. Up above in the city of Tokyo, we see a young man named Jiro carrying groceries into an elevator. When he reaches the bottom, he has arrived in Mr. Unknown's headquarters, where he, he is spotted by Lord Deathman and his henchmen. Jiro, who is Mr. Unknown's partner, is able to fight off the henchmen and escape back up to the top through the elevator before they get to him, and Lord Deathman screams, find him and kill all Japanese crime fighters. We then cut to Batman and Catwoman, who are breaking into an armory to steal a device created by Dr. Savannah, a device that only Batman believes he should have possession of. However, this, they soon learn that other men are attempting to steal the device as well, but there are invisible robots that are used as security guards, and the other men's attempt is cut short. However, Batman and Catwoman are able to get into the safe. Inside the safe, Catwoman sees this rather shiny blue diamond that is titled Project X, but we learn that it isn't really a diamond. And the next night, Batman and Catwoman are out in Tokyo again. They head into a comic book store that is owned by Mr. Unknown. Bruce sees the lock broken and heads down into the lair. They soon discover that the headquarters has been trashed and Batman investigates the dead body of Mr. Unknown. Suddenly, three of Lord Deathman's henchmen appear, and while they seem well-trained, they are no match for the team of Batman and Catwoman. Batman then interrogates one of the henchmen, who after some severe convincing tells Batman that they were waiting for Jiro, who is Mr. Unknown's body double. We then cut to the next night, next day, where Jiro has been called by a female friend, Misaki, who asks him to come over, and he is very cautious as he approaches her room, and when he does open the door, he sees Misaki tied to a chair, with two of Lord Deathman's henchmen standing behind her. Lord Deathman then appears and begins to torture the woman, and Jiro takes a shot at him with a gun, and Lord Deathman falls back out of the window and landing on the pavement where blood fills the concrete surrounding the body. Masaki then screams to Jiro, what have you done? He's the only one who can stop it, and Jiro is confused. Suddenly, a trap door beneath uh, Misaki opens up, and she goes falling into it, which appears to be a big tub of water, but we don't see that. And Batman and Catwoman arrive in time to stop the henchmen, and Catwoman goes diving into the trap door. And as this is happening, the captions read, Lord Deathman lives to take life. 
and he's only just begun, can Batman solve the Reaper's riddles, or will curiosity kill the cat? And the issue ends with Catwoman and Misaki underwater, tangled in the tentacles of a giant <laughs> octopus. That is to be continued. All right, Batman Incorporated number one. This was a great issue. It's also a great break from what we've seen Morrison do. On the forum, Zach made a comment about how this isn't, this doesn't feel as epic as Batman and Robin, but it's still a great story, and that's exactly right. It, it doesn't, not everything that Morrison does has to have some crazy epic story attached to it. It can just be a good story and be a good comic. And I think eventually Batman Incorporated will become that epic story. Be a long, It's going to be a build-up. A decent, decent amount of time for the build-up for that. The one thing that... Because I don't know a whole lot, of, obviously, about this Mr. Unknown or Lord Deathman, the body double thing kind of threw me for a loop for a while as I thought to myself, was Mr. Unknown really Mr. Unknown? Or was that the body double and this guy is actually the the hero? That didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, I didn't understand why somebody would be going after a body double for a hero. That that didn't make a lot of sense to me. The art by Yannick Biquette, amazing stuff. I didn't have any complaints about it at all. I thought it was very good. It reminded me of what he did with when he was working when he worked on uh, Return of Bruce Wayne. I thought the issue was overall very satisfying. Four out of five bad runs. I enjoyed this. Um, I like the art. I liked, uh, like Grant Morrison said in that interview that you guys read on the last podcast, uh, that he did, it wasn't just them going to Japan and it's them going to Japan. There was actual, like, Japanese culture stuff. I love uh, uh, the reference to Elva Bar. And for those of you who don't know, before she was known as Selena Kyle in the Golden Age, Elva Bar was Catwoman's alias. And she even makes the reference, oh, according to this TV report, we're engaged. And uh, Elva Bar and Bruce Wayne were engaged in a old golden age story but it was like a phony engagement so uh i liked that little callback i like the art and i like the i liked a little william dozer like what will happen next time thing uh so there was a lot of humor in the story you know it, this was a lighter book there was you know some humor in the story and was an interesting setup for batman Inc. so i'll give it four and a half out of five batterings yeah i thought this was really good it's a lot more grounded than i think people maybe have may were expecting it's got a very like sexy feel to it the best way to sum this up in my eyes is is batman takes on villains who have skull masks giant robots there's lots of martial arts and there's a giant octopus now if that doesn't sound like a great time then i don't know it does it really is and it was really refreshing to see batman and catwoman together journeying journeying around the world in japan and it's still batman fighting crime it's just a new territory which i think is going to be really exciting and interesting about this book and i thought that this issue really sold that incorporated idea bruce wayne is written much different in comparison to what we have got from the last year and i and i love it because he's a little more lighthearted, and i and i not dick grayson lighthearted, but he's a little more lighthearted than we uh are used to bruce i love that bruce is taking selena to like these fancy hotels and you know telling her oh you know you deserve it and she's sitting back and drinking champagne i just thought it was like a really fun vibe and i thought catwoman was a great addition and i liked kind of the playful manner that she's written in i thought the end of the issue was really terrific because i really wasn't prepared for a giant octopus and i think that that (laughs) might be the most clever end to an issue that i've read in a long time 
it's you know like Josh said, it has that very like end of the '60s show vibe. Will Catwoman survive? You'll have to wait and see next month. <laughs> I can just see the special effects octopus. Yeah, I thought I just thought that was really terrific. And Yannick Paquette is really perfect artist for this first story arc. I think the mood and the tone that he brings really fits the style of the lighter approach that this book seems to be going for. And I really loved his Catwoman. I I think his Catwoman was great. I like Lord Deathman as a villain. I think he's very campy, but at the same time, I just really, really cool. This has a very James Bond feel to it, which I love. Because as I've mentioned before, I love those globe-trotting Batman stories. So this book really is right up at my alley. I didn't really have any issues with the book. It's just something that is not typical Grant Morrison for this year. It really reminds me more of like the beginning of Batman and Robin and even kind of like a, just a really good superhero comic and comparing it to like Morrison's Justice League run. So it's very kind of back to basics with this like really like sexy exciting twist. So I thought that this was just a blast and I'll give this five out of five batterings. Yeah, I, I like this too. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to cut straight to it. I thought the art was excellent. I really did. After all that, although I have to say, I didn't see much speed lines from Mr. Paquette after all that, um, those uh, glorious promises he was saying a couple months back and how he was going to incorporate the manga style of using speed lines, and I don't see it here. But I will say that it was, I liked his art because it was very heavily inked. At the same time, it was also very well rendered, and that is a credence to the guy's style. Whether or not he incorporated manga sensibilities into it, I don't think he did. But I thought that his style was excellent. I really liked this. This is like the best art I've ever seen from him. I'm not sure where I've seen from him before, but this was really, really cool. Especially the colors. Okay, I'm seeing who did the colors on this issue. Ducka, ducka, ducka. The colors was Nathan Fairbairn. Crops that guy. Um, although I will say that I thought Selena was was done. Like I thought that Paquette tried a little too hard to be Adam Hughes when he was doing Selena. Like the first time you see her, she's she's in a in an impossible pose in the middle of the air. She has her cleavage down everywhere. I, I kind of thought that he was drawing her a little too. He he drew her to be too appealing to the eye and not really like in in the, the actual going going on the story. Like it seems like she's in a pose every single panel, and that kind of bugged me. But um, he did draw her very well. Um, the plot was kind of fun. The only thing that kind of is is a, a negative to me, and it's not really the issue, but it's like why. Didn't this happen in Batman or any other Batman book? I mean, okay, he's doing, he's going, okay, and this is, I said before, he's going after people to train for his Batman Incorporated thingamajig. But it just seems like I didn't feel a, a specific vibe from this book as I did for Batman and Robin a year ago. I just think that, like, as good as the story this was, this could have been in anything else. But that's just me. Yeah, but <laughs> don't you think if this was in Batman, like, there might be some backlash from the fans? Because it's not what is typically re- written over the last couple of years. I mean, this is to me, this is a very different style of Batman book than what we're used to of the last few years, especially from Grant Morrison. You know what? The last few years, yes, but I've read this kind of stuff from Denny O'Neill's run. I mean, like, like you well, said, yeah, that's Zach, why. That's why I like it so much. It's very reminiscent of that of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Yeah, but exactly. That's I mean, when, that's when not modern. It, that's not really the modern age, though. I mean, you have to think about Batman Year One to me is kind of the modern, the modern Batman, and I don't think we've don't seen know. in the modern Batman. I, I, I mean, I was going to say that they didn't start a new book to do that, but I, I don't. It's just my personal opinion. I don't think they needed to start another title for this, but it, it's a good issue. So four and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batman Incorporated number one, four and a half out of five Batarangs. So that's all of our books. Let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners.
hello there and welcome back to Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick and today I'm looking through a particular book called Batman Run Riddler Run. If you're new to this segment, what I do is review a particular Batman story from the past and I'm slowly working my way through the Dark Knight's career. We've gone through a few major stories so far and we've got plenty more to go, so don't worry about that. Published in 1992, it's a three-issue prestige format and it was written by Gerard Jones and the art was provided by Mark Badger. Now, I couldn't actually find many details about these two guys, um, so I'm afraid I don't have a lot to add there. But I must admit, I do love a good Riddler story. Always entertaining if he's done properly. So, let's see how he does in this one. He doesn't turn up in BBFB very often. He certainly hasn't so far. Um, So hopefully this one will do the character justice. So, let's push on with the story. Hello? Riddle me this, Batman. What are the chilliest 12 inches in the world? It's the Riddler. The chilliest 12 inches in the world, cold feet. Bruce Wayne becomes intrigued and supportive of a new development project, one that proposes to be a city within a city and completely free of crime, helping Gotham's future. But when residents of the slum that it's going to be torn down to make way for this new future, they start protesting. He realises the situation is more complex. His ambivalence is further fuelled when he discovers the developers have hired a paroled Riddler as a security consultant and have employed an elite security force dressed in cyborg battle suits who give sweeping authority by the government and Batman is soon is in trouble. Batman witnesses one of the protesters in the slums get framed for murder by the cyborg police and also accidentally kills one of the special security force men by accident when provoked. Riddler is sacked as a security consultant after he wastes millions of pounds, or dollars rather, on silly puzzles and he infuriates his boss. Batman is devastated after killing the cyborg-suited cop and is then told by the Riddler that he actually didn't kill anyone and that he was framed by the leader of these cyborg policemen called Fritz. Batman then has to work with the Riddler and the squatters to protect their home and fight the cyborgs who are getting out of control and even even starting to order Commissioner Gordon around, who's having none of that. With the Riddler's help, they break into the eight school of the cyborg police, and with the security designed by the Riddler, they take out the villain Fritz. And the residents of the slum return happily back to their homes, and Batman has once again saved the day. I hope you made extra. Who the hell are you? Just a friend. But you can call me... The Riddler. Run Riddler Run is a fairly enjoyable self-contained adventure, but it does have its flaws. The good thing was that, unlike a lot of Batman stories involving uh, him being really grim and serious and battling his regular villains and not a lot happening, uh, we had some original villains here, and it was also in a slightly real-world environment with this urban development and social problems with the uh, residents. And apart from the Riddler, the characters are all... Original to this story and and have a, a sense of realism about them, but there's also, there's also a light-heartedness uh, scattered throughout the book, with the Riddler's obsession particularly extreme here to humorous effect. He's um, and the scenes between Batman and the Riddler are often fun. 
Uh, and for a story involving the Riddler, you obviously expect a lot of riddles and puzzles. And he was mostly good, fairly good riddles, mostly thought-provoking, but I didn't feel the writer had a real talent for that. But it really made me realise how difficult it must be to to uh, work with the Riddler as a character in your stories. And I imagine a lot of writers avoid him f- for the challenge that it can pose to some writers. Um, I found the second issue to be pretty dull, I have to say, out of the three. Um, really not a lot happened there. I felt there might have been made too many cooks in this story, too many cooks in the kitchen. We had the squatters at the slums, we had the cyborg policemen, we had the new Gotham idea, we had the Riddler, we had the lady in charge of this new Gotham idea. Not a lot of space for the Riddler, really, to do his thing and get out there and entertain. There was a great punch at the end by Batman when he just hit Riddler when he got fed up with him, showing him that, hey, I'm still in charge here, and if you keep uh, annoying me like that, I will just get frustrated and hit you in the face. And for a book that was about the Riddler, I wanted more from him, I have to say. I was expecting more, didn't get it. Puzzles a little bit lacking, characters not involved as much as you would hope, and that's a bit of a shame. Uh, The art sometimes looks really good stylistically, but it doesn't help to serve the story with it being a little misleading in places. It's a very mixed bag, it's got a rough cartoony style, it's a bit out there, and some of the scenes are a bit confusing, but there is an energy to it that, that keeps the pace up quite well, but as I said, blows hot and cold, a bit um, inconsistent. So all in all, this book has some good moments, just not many, so I'll be giving it two batarangs. Can we actually have a brain beneath that pointy cowl of ours? So tell me, have you brawn to match? So clearly Run Riddler Run, not that impressive. Give it a miss. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of other Riddler stories out there that are much better. Hopefully we'll come across them in the future. Um, Wouldn't be too fussed with this one. Uh, next time, I'm going to be looking at a very specific set of books. We're looking at three issues from the Huntress series. And this is the series from 1989, her first series. We'll be looking at issues 1, 18, and 19. And I can hear you already. Nick, why are you looking at those issues? Well, these this is the origin story of Huntress, uh, and her first meeting with Batman are in those books. So... We're looking forward to a new addition to the Bat family coming into the stories. Or is she welcome? I don't think uh, Batman and her have had a great relationship. And we'll probably see that in the future. And hopefully we'll see where that goes. So I'm looking forward to the addition of Huntress next time. I hope you are too. I've been Nick. And now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Riddle me this. Riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black No more tricks, Edward. Very well, then. Let's get real. All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next issue for the next episode. Let's go over what we're going to be covering on the next episode as far as comics. We will be covering the Batman 80-page Giant 2010, Batman Confidential number 51, Batman Orphans number 1, Batgirl number 16, 
Detective Comics Annual number 12, Red Robin number 18, and Night and Squire number 3. So not as many comics as usual, but we should also be covering that Batman Odyssey that we did not cover on this episode. Alright, so that's everything for this episode. As always, you can go over to the website to check out all the daily news related to the comic book world, as well as movies, TVs, merchandise, and video games. You can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And, of course, you can leave us a review on iTunes. You can also join the forums, become a member, and discuss all the things related to the Batman comics, as well as many other things. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. You got Josh. I'm pretty sure I'm Zach. I think it was Donovan. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. I think... Stay thirsty, my friends. So long! thing so i just found out batman incorporated number four they're currently having an auction right now where you can buy your way into batman incorporated number four what where is this auction being held ebay okay what's it if i can find the link what's it sitting at right now (laughs) yeah it's sitting at like 275 we should put little Damien in there. Let's see, where was it? History. Search Batman Inc. for. I'm rereading Azrael. I, I can't believe you people like this. I'll, I'll put a bit on this, even though I know I'm going to lose and it's out of my price range. Two weeks later, I, was I, seriously, I was seriously contemplating going to my wife and saying, So, you don't know what to get me for Christmas. I know what you could get me for Christmas. Where um cuz I'm getting my wife a car for Christmas. So How do we how do we know this is legitimate? I think it was you on, don't. I think it was on comic book resources. I hope it's, it's legitimate cuz I just bid 200 pounds. <laughs> cuz it's comic book alliance. But uh I'm just wondering Buyer, the seller has buyer requirements, blah, 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 and only sells to buyer who meet these requirements. You are unable to bid on this item because the seller doesn't ship to the location where your primary shipping address is located. What? So I'm, I guess already, in the, I'm already in the book. So you, you, you can't be American. After, after my last review of Batman and Robin, Grant Morrison, he's got me in the book. They have enough Americans, apparently. Yeah, you're good. So, if I'm out, then that means that Dustin's probably out. Unless, like, Chicago is just that awesome. I'm trying to see if there's anything on Comic Line saying there's... I would look for at DC on DC. I didn't see anything on DC's website. Because I would laugh stuff if Comic Book Alliance pulls this and then it's like, Hey, thanks for donating to our website. Well, DC will probably uh, kick their ass.
You get they're they're auctioning some other stuff off too. You can get a personalized character by Batman Robin artist Frank Quietly. Uh, what else? <laughs> oh yeah, that's I'd that, rather that, not. That, that that's totally just as good as this. Well, you you star in Batman and Robin number four. Then what? Who whoever's drawing this? What do you submit a picture of yourself and then? They well, have this to draw is that's what people? doesn't make any sense because the details say that the, the person who's drawing it is uh, Chris Burnham. Hillary. Yeah, Chris Burnham. Chris Burnham. But I don't understand because Yannick Paquette is doing the book, so that doesn't make any well, sense to me. Yannick Paquette's only probably doing the first three issues. He's only probably doing the first arc. Dude. Maybe okay. Chris Burnham is the guy that drew in Batman and Robin number seventeen that everybody thought was Frank Frank Wiley, or it was Cameron Stewart pretending to be Frank Wiley. I have an idea. We win this, but instead of like being a character, we say that we want like our person to be killed off in the most violent way, and then we send them pictures of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. 